This is the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with me, Dr. Fuck, and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. So come on and let's go and enjoy another episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast! Well, all right, it's me, Dr. Fuck, from the band Thrasher Die and the band Combat, and with me today, as always, is... Ian Wadley from uh, Wadzilla Land, which I have proudly a Wadzilla shirt. You saw that, Ian? Yes, I, I don't even have mine yet. Yeah, I, I bought a, a Wadzilla shirt, cause, uh, and, and they've I been selling you. like crazy. Scott Green is very proud of you. Yes, uh, we, we, made, uh, we made the money that we needed to buy the program, so uh, my, my radio show will go on, and I thank everybody... It was amazing support, and thank you, Scott Green, because he did all this shit. It outsold I- the Dr. Yeah. Fuck Show shirt. And that's a lot of shirts. Well, I mean, I had a limited run. You guys had it running late, uh, much more, but that doesn't take away the fact that it sold more than my shirt. And if my shirt would have been sold longer, it probably wouldn't have sold as well as the Wadzilla shirt, because my shirt was for no reason. His was. His was a We Are the World type shit. Right, no, but like, the, the important thing to point out there, though, is I believe that the Rock and Metal Combat podcast shirt sold the most. I believe that's sold. Oh, really? Sold, yes, I believe that sold a little bit more than just the regular Wadzilla shirt. Well, there so, you go. Well, I, yeah. I, I love them both, and I will wear them both proudly on well, stage. Enough of that. We're going to get personal for a second now. Because there was a little turmoil between Ian and myself with the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Never said I was leaving the show, but I was seriously thinking about it. And, uh, which I think we will discuss uh, in, in hindsight, the whole problem. Anyway, um, I was thinking of starting my own show, but I wasn't going to leave Ian high and dry. I, I, like a job, I was going to give him, not a two-week notice, but more like a month notice. Because my, my thought was, I wanted to leave the show by the 100th episode, if Ian allowed it, you know? Um, we had, we talked it out. Everything's fine. Any, everything that I wanted, uh, I got, and I thank you, Ian, for that. And, uh, I proved to you that everything I wanted wasn't going to really change anything. As a matter of fact, the board is better now than ever, isn't it? It's doing very well. Very happy to have you active on the board. <laughs> I'm having a good time there and I'm posting yes. a lot of shit. There's a good, good, a lot of interaction. Yes, everybody's think, having a good time. The fans are really enjoying your presence. Yeah, everybody's happy with my post. There's a lot of talk on my post, and and I'm I'm posting different shit. So I'm I'm having a great time. So therefore, there's nothing but harmony on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Actually, more than ever, if you ask. Yes, in fact, uh, this this last weekend. We recorded two excellent episodes, and the magic yeah. was there. It was a lot of fun, and really there was it. a lot of bashing in one yes. of those episodes, uh, yes. back and forth. You, Ian and I were going at it, and that's that's the beauty of our podcast. When we fight on our podcast, we fight as brothers. When we fight on Facebook, we fight as enemies. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's the you know. So I think that whole Facebook problem is going to be resolved now because. The only interaction me and Ian have on Facebook now is on the Rock and Metal Comment Podcast because I am friends with him. <laughs> and he's and, got none of my groups, and that's where all the problems come from. 
And, 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 it, and it works better that way, and I'm happy to have it. I'm happy you're happy. I'm happy. And uh, the, the show goes on. But! But! In the, yeah. in, the, in the midst of us falling in love again, uh, there was somebody that was trying to steal away my little tenderoni. Oh, yes. Yes, we're going to talk about this guy. And I know he's been waiting for this. <laughs> oh, my God. What I Look, I have met some weird fuckers. And not only uh, online, but offline. I mean, some real bizarre people. And this guy has to be the fu- most fucked up person ever that I've ever, ever come across. And I don't even know the guy. The guy just popped out of any uh, nowhere and, and, and was just wreaked havoc, you know? And I mean, tried to wreak havoc. And, um, oh, Ian, man. I mean, should I, should I give the backstory? Yeah, give a little backstory for some of it because we have so many listeners on the Facebook page, but not everybody is. Okay, so they have a good understanding of so, that. So, so this is what you missed if you're not because you got to join this Facebook page. It's so insane. Uh, all right, what well, in the midst of the darkness of me and Ian's little tip, where actually I don't really want to go into many details, but by the time I was thinking of uh, leaving the show, I was actually cool with Ian. Me and Ian, we hashed things out. We weren't mad at each other, but I still was bothered by, you know, one, I tried to censor the the page, and I thought that was wrong. So I felt bad about it. Ian felt bad, like, you know, telling me, being stubborn. We were both being stubborn. So, But at the time, I mean, we ironed it out, but then started to eat at me. And I made, you know, I, I actually talked to a couple people, and, you know, I was thinking of starting my own show. Now, in no way I was thinking of... I mean, I was thinking of leaving the show, but not to leave Ian high and dry. So, I made a post about, look, you know, uh, something exciting is going to happen. I didn't actually, I was a little vague. I didn't say I was starting a podcast, but I was a little vague. And then as that conversation went on, I said, yeah, I'm thinking of starting my own show, this and that. But I'm not leaving the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Never did I claim this, uh, unlike this bizarre human keeps talking about how I said I was leaving the show. No, no. At one point, I was saying, if I do leave the show, I will give Ian a notice. I made all this shit clear, but this guy's so bizarre, he didn't get it. Well, anyway, he sends me a private message where he's giving me like a resume why he should be my new co-host on my show that hasn't even started. And I made it clear in the message that, no, uh, I actually got somebody else in mind who has connections, blah, blah, but he kept on, oh, let's do a trial run. I was like, no time soon. I was gently trying to blow this guy off. I didn't even know who this guy was. I had no idea who he was. So anyway, uh, me and Ian had a long talk after this, and I decided, you know, and he gave to my demands, and I was like, hey, you don't have to. It doesn't matter. No, but he did anyway, which was a wise part of his move because it made the, the page better. So when I get back on the page after I rejected this guy, this guy is going after Ian now to be his co-host, writing, oh, uh, Ian's the best podcaster, and something I left out in the conversation that he was sending me, he called Ian, he called Ian my sidekick, that he's not, he, I'm the real star of the show, and that Ian's a rude, a drunk, and all this fucking vile, he said a bunch of fucked up shit it, to Ian. He called me a cunt, didn't he? <laughs> well, he said, he said, uh, this is the way he said it, because now, later he goes, I never called Ian a cunt, okay. He didn't call you a cunt directly, but this is how he said it. He said, he's rude. Let me find it here. Look, I, I think I got it here. No, I don't have it handy. But, I mean, he, he said, 
he's rude, he's a drunk, and this and that. And he goes, and plus, I'm not a cunt. That is directed at you. He's saying he's not a cunt after he calls you all these things. Like, yeah. he's rude, he's drunk, and you know, and you're the star of the show. And plus, I'm not a cunt, you know? And I'm like, so he says all this shit about Ian. But then when I, I finally go back on the board, I see him kissing Ian's ass like, you're the best podcaster. And I'm like, what a fucking poser. What a two-faced poser. So I exposed him. I put up the conversation. He got really mad at me. He's calling me a rat and a snitch and this and that. I was like, dude, number one, Ian is my friend. And you're, th- you're, you're talking shit about him. And then and I see him you then kissing his ass. So, of course, I'm going to show the... And plus, oh, wait, something very important. Ever, even before I put that up, the whole page hated this guy. Even before he, oh, yeah. even before people knew what he was doing, everybody on the page fucking hated him. They just hated him. So I, I was like, dude, you're a two-faced. And I put up the, the thing and people went apeshit calling him like, you know, calling him out. But he got super mad at me. At first he was like, Ralph, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> you know, it's like, because you're two-faced, dude. <laughs> and then, uh, I, but here's the thing. I had him on my friends list. This is how stupid I am. Or, or gullible, whatever you want to call it. And I had a, I had to t- get blood and all this shit. So I was going to the doctor to find out my results. So I just made a friendly little post saying, hey, I'm going to doctors now to find out my results. Wish me luck. And it's like, dude, like, I don't know, like 30, 40 people. Good luck, Ralph. Good luck, Ralph. In the middle of all this, here he comes. And I have this written here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this exactly what it says. He says, I hope it's cancer, you fucking cunt. And I hope the doctor <laughs> lets me laugh at you when he says that it's cancer. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, <laughs> really? You're that mad at me? You know, and I also got to say, the guy is not mentally well. He's definitely fucking, there's something really wrong upstairs. You know? And I, I'll, yeah, and I'll give him that. You know, I mean, that's the one thing I can say uh, where I'm actually, like, going to give him a little benefit of the doubt because he really is not right in the head. He really is, there's something seriously wrong with him. But then again, anybody that wishes cancer on somebody, there's something seriously wrong with people like that. And I, I got to say, man, karma's a bitch. And I have a history. I have a history of people fucking me over that they end up getting so fucked over in life later on uh, that this guy, man, and I know you're listening now, you're going to remember me when something really bad happens to you. You will remember me, trust me, because it's coming. But uh, that's pretty much, I don't know, I'm sure I'm missing out some parts because, I mean, basically, well, uh, basically the guy's a fucking moron. But go ahead, Ian. What's your side? Yeah. All right, well, this guy first came into my radar probably a couple days before our little uh, soiree happened. And uh, I noticed he started fighting with people right away. And I was like, ah, wow, what a dick. Uh, But you know what? I thought, like, you know, I grew up watching wrestling. And I thought, like, maybe this guy could be the villain. You know, like a new person on the page just... Everybody loves to hate. Maybe he could be entertaining. Yeah. But uh, but very quickly, I, I found out I was wrong. And then we got into our argument, and he had sent me a friend request, which I denied because I was like, wow, this guy seems like a dick. And quite frankly, his profile picture scared me because he looks like Gollum's chubby brother. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, it's very, very disturbing. You know, like there's, uh, I don't know if there's too little chromosomes or too many chromosomes, but it was a very scary picture. Um, so I didn't accept his friend request, but he kept sending me shit on Messenger. And I was like, well, okay, let me just talk to the guy on Messenger. And he, he said, oh, Rouse going solo, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You should start the page with me, fuck Ralph and all this shit. And I tried to be nice to him as well. You know, because, you know, he's a fan of the show. So I was just like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm like, yes, me and Ralph are arguing and it's serious, but uh, I hope we work it out. And uh, I'm not having any co-host uh, anytime soon. So thank you, but no thank you. And uh, so I thought that was the end of it. And then, in the meantime, you and me patch things up. And I'm laying here one night. You know, for our listeners, I go on Facebook in the morning before work. And I try to keep up with it during work. But when I get home, that's that at, at, in the evening, that's my time. So I don't go on that much. But my phone went off, and I saw uh, I had a text message from Stephen Kirsch. Because that motherfucker's in the know. We, we, we personal friends. We're real-life friends. And he told me about what this son of a bitch said about his daughter. That was so fucking low. Even lower than what he said to me, if you ask me. Right. And and, and I don't mind, like, if, you, you know, we're adults on the page and we're guys. I have a fucked up sense of humor. But there is a line to be drawn. Me and Ralph have mama jokes. But it's it's like a pre-written rule. It's like, we don't literally mean that. But we love our mothers. Yeah. And, we, uh, you know, if, don't, don't blow the illusion. Well, no, I mean, I really love your mother. I don't, but, yeah, but I don't like you blowing the illusion like your mother blows me. Ouch. <laughs> Which is not uh, good. Too much teeth, too much teeth. You'd figure with all that experience. See, that's a great thing about your mother, no teeth. I know, yeah, uh, but she takes them out before she gets that. It's, oh, well, I heard, I don't know, I don't know that person. That's what yeah. I heard from dozens of people. <laughs> so anyway, this guy, he crossed the line. Okay. That's, you know, look, man, a man never, ever talks about somebody's daughter, no matter what. Yes. And and a man never even thinks about somebody's daughter, no matter yeah. what. You just don't. That's one thing you right. don't do. Right. You know? I mean, daughter's bad enough, but a 15-year-old? And yeah. what did he say again? Go ahead. I mean, mention the unspeakable thing this uh, guy said. Basically, uh, Steve was talking about how... Uh, he was upset about ACDC getting canceled and he was going to take his daughter. <clears throat> and this guy said something about, oh, how old's your daughter? You know, does she fuck? You know, my son's 14 and he fucks. He likes Jewish girls. You know, all this shit, you know. And even Steve, he goes, look, he goes, we all joke around on the page. He goes, but that's my daughter. And I, I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I told him, I go, this fucker's gone. I, you know, I should have got rid of him a long time ago. And I've only blocked two people in the entire history. Terrence and Brody. Those are the only two people I've ever blocked. I blocked, I blocked about 17. <laughs> right. Yeah. On Tuesday. Uh, yeah. And this motherfucker made number three. I was like, you know what? That's fucking it. And then this other shit, um, you know, comes out. Like, I didn't know about what he was writing Ralph and everything. And then... I'm not as internet savvy as some people, and I'm like trying to figure out if I'm blocking him right or, or whatever, or if he's really off the. I don't know if I'm blocking him for me or from the page. And before I can get all this shit done, lo and behold, what do I get? 
but a fucking uh, a, a instant messenger message from this fucking peckerhead. Oh, really? I haven't heard this part yet. Oh, my God. And it was like a goddamn Harlequin novel. This shit went on forever. And, and, and this, after I read this, I, luckily I figured out how to block him because this man is truly insane. Yeah. I, I almost felt a little bad for him. I'm going to tell you the truth. Like you said, there, there's something rotten in Denmark. There's something wrong with this guy. Uh, and especially, though, after I read his letter, he is not all there. Yeah, he's, I, he's, 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 he's nuts. There's, that guy should yeah. be in an asylum. He really is oh. insane. Oh, so some of you have seen the post that's on the page where he, he wrote Henry Rollins and told him he's the father he never had and he needs a hug and cops need hugs and all this shit. And he says he's a police officer, but he's not. Because he couldn't oh. supply me with a link. Oh, and plus, well, come on, anybody that mental would never be hired to be a police officer. Oh, well, maybe in Ferguson, Missouri, but <laughs> hopefully not in New York. No, not even there, man. This guy's fucking out there, man. But, uh, you, you know, I just as a public service message, I feel like I have to write. I, I mean, I have to tell you what he wrote me. Oh, and, really? Uh, oh, I can't wait to hear this. Oh, God. And, and this is kind of long, so, so bear with me. But this shows you what we're dealing with. All so, right. uh, and I quote, Dear Ayatollah, sorry you and Ralph are fighting. You must be lonely. I am lonely, too. Being a gay man from Northern Ireland, which, oh, basi- which basically means I'm British, is... <laughs> is very hard my mother was the town whore i have no idea who my father is i discovered at a young age that i was homosexual i found this out by much pleasure that i endured listening to the cranberries and shoving potatoes up my ass wow yes the villagers were not kind to my whore mother or my potato fetish. So between that and a great potato famine in Northern Ireland, my mother said we should move to the New World. She said, son, pick anywhere you want to go. So I, of course, picked Queens. It just sounded fitting. So when I went there, I took the last name Shanahan because I took one look at the coach, Mike Shanahan, and he was exactly like how my mother described the group of Keebler elves that gangbanged her who could possibly be my father. Wow. Once moving to the New World, I tried to get a job at the Nabisco factory to see if I could find my father. But to no avail. Apparently, they live in a tree somewhere, and I was not given the address. As I grew into adulthood, I had to decide on a, on a job. Between my love for the village people and my blatant homosexual tendencies, I decided to become a cop. Hey, what could be better? Surrounded by men in uniform. Yum, yum. Oh, my God. Wow. No wonder this guy's got mental problems. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, this ain't the halfway part. You figure, you know, you got you to gotta say, look, this is how insane this guy is. Normally, when a gay guy comes out of the closet, freedom and his life is much better. This guy should go back in the closet. Maybe he'd be happier. Oh, oh, no, there's tales of repression coming up. Oh, okay. 
Once I was kicked out of the police force before I even got a job, I decided maybe I should marry to appease my whore mother who was shamed of my homosexual lifestyle. I ended up marrying a lesbian from Bensonhurst. <laughs> and I have to tell you, while I enjoyed the companionship, getting fucked by the strap-on is not the same. And quite frankly, I missed the potato. <laughs> to add insult to injury, my only friend Jared was arrested for molesting little boys. Oh, man. I felt so alone, I had no one to talk to. One night, in a moment of desperation, I was online Googling big balls. <laughs> lo, and, lo and behold, I found a link to the Rock and Metal Combat <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy all your reviews. And Ralph, and then, and then, and then he X that out. Ian, you are my favorite <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> I hope that someday we can re we can make some reviews together, and quite possibly, if it doesn't freak you out, you could shove a large spud up my ass. <laughs> Your friend, Michael Shanahan. P.S. Oh. Don't be freaked out by the fact that I am a raving douchebag. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was on my fucking, uh, on my Facebook page. And, uh, wow. That's all I got to say about that. That is wild, but it does explain a lot. Yes, it, it does. And, uh, he is a very troubled man. Yeah, you know, I mean, gay people, hey, look, I got nothing about gay, I have nothing against gay people, but you know what, gay people that abuse hamsters and potatoes, yeah, I think I do have a little bit of a problem with them. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, when a potato says no, it means no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you... And, and he's so stupid, he, he moved to New York instead of Idaho, what a moron. Exactly, and, uh... I ain't eating those tater tots. That's all I'm fucking saying. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. There's your little uh, segment there. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I, I feel bad for his whore mother. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's a faith healer, by the way. That's another oh, yeah. thing he wrote me. He goes, my whore mother can cure your cancer, but you have to say sorry first. And then I said, yeah. I can cure her face with some cum. I, I got a feeling it's a trick. Because I, I, I saw the advert and said, uh, yeah, you know, she'll give you a herpes for five bucks and take it away for ten. She's just trying to make some fucking <laughs> yeah, exactly, money. Exactly, exactly. Oh, what, you, what a... you fucking poor British wannabe Irish whore, you. <laughs> All right, so that's enough of him, right? Yes. Let's get into. Uh, we have a a double review of a show we both saw recently. Exactly. That was a that was. Uh, Incredible for us in the U.S. to get a chance to see this man, Uli John Roth. Yes. Uh, first question I have for you about about it: How was the turnout, Ian? Horrible. <laughs> so was ours. So was ours. Yes. I'm really mad. I, so I, I would say about fifty people. Wow, yours was even worse than mine. Yeah, I'd say about I'd say about fifty people, and uh, once Uli came on. 
Uh, I would say 20 of those left. But I'll get, into I'll get into that later. All right, well, okay, my review, since I saw it first, uh, I, Ian, you explain if this same thing happened to you. Uh, due to visa problems, his band couldn't make it to the show. So he had Andy Timmons, Je Jennifer Batten, uh, come out on stage and help him, because uh, my understanding, he does have another guitar player uh, in his band that, you know, due to visa problems, which, you know, we got something special. Uh, the majority of the set, well, actually, the whole set was all Scorpions, and then the encore was a few Jimi Hendrix. Um, I'd say roughly, I'm being generous, maybe 100, 150, maybe the most. And it, it, the culture room's kind of like a big club. And need I mind you, Thrasher Dive drew more people than that, and that's pretty sad, because this is a fucking legend. But, you know, the, the good news is we got the experience, Uli John Roth, live. He was so amazing. It was like, oh my God, it was so good. He was so good. And the singer he has, John West, I believe. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my God, what a singer. He he sang with Lynch Mob, I believe, or he did something with George Lynch. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, he took over for Ray Gillen in Badlands as well. Wow, that I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Ruben, see, the thing is, I, I wasn't aware of this guy. Ruben knew him. Ruben De La Rosa. I love that guy. And, uh, you know, and and it's and what's really weird, after the show, I see Ruben talking to him, and I go up to Ruben's wife, and I'm like, who's that? She's like, that's John West. I'm like, who's John West? Oh, that's the guy that was singing for Uli, and he looked different. I was like, God damn, that didn't look like the guy I saw on stage. So I said, ah, fuck it. You know, the guy was such a phenomenal singer. I wanted a picture with him, so I took a picture with him. Uh, Ruben later told me he also has a few solo albums that was released on Shrapnel that I yes. want to look into. He's a really, really good singer. Uh, opening act, Andy Timmon from Danger Danger. Phenomenal guitar player. Not a fan of Danger Danger, but the guy was good. He played... Did, did you have Andy Timmons? Yes, I had right. same same thing. Andy Timmons, Jennifer Batten, then Uli. Okay, did you see the sets? Did you see their sets? Yes. Okay, uh, Andy Timmons did an amazing Beatles thing. Did you get that man when he's playing uh, he, Strawberry he, Fields he, and stuff like that? Yes, yes, he did Strawberry Fields. It yes. was amazing. It was just fucking. Or no, 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 no. I, I apologize. He did Losing the Sky when I saw him. I'm sorry. That's what he did. I got it confused because it was instrumental. Yeah, he did Lucy in the Sky down here, and. Um, he was great. Jeff, Jennifer Batten was great, uh, but Uli was fucking, oh my God, this guy is a freak of nature. And he played a long, long set. Everybody was happy. I was ecstatic to hear him do stuff like Entrance, We Burned the Sky, uh, uh, Sales of Sharon. Um, oh my God, it was like every fucking song he played, I was freaking out over, you know? And, uh, you see, I'm a huge fan of the Scorps with him, so to see him actually do this stuff with a singer that can fucking nail those songs. Woo! Oh, could he ever nail those songs? I was... It was one of the best shows I ever saw in my life. It was... I definitely put it in my top 20 of greatest shows. Uli Roth delivered. Yeah, the, the turnout sucked, but the show was fucking god. And, uh, and then I met him afterwards. I met Uli before. But I've never seen him perform live. Well, how I met him before was uh, me and Ruben De La Rosa. I love that guy. Went to the Port of Miami for the first 70 Tons of Metal cruise, but we 
and I wasn't going on the cruise, but we went there to meet a bunch of people. And my main people I wanted to meet was Biff from Saxon and Uli. Those were the two main ones that were, you know, Saxon and Uli were on the trip. Unfortunately, I, I missed Biff. I guess he got on the ship before I got there. But we did get to meet Uli, and I took a picture with him. But still, you know, my life is empty. I never saw him live. So then I finally saw him live, and then I met him again. I took another picture with him. So the New Orleans show, very poorly promoted. The only reason I even found out about this is because I went to go see Colin Hay last month, uh, the lead singer from Minute Work. And I had to go in the bathroom to fucking smoke my toy cigarette because uh, I, I have an e-cigarette. And uh, I'm going to the bathroom to smoke and I see this poster for the show. And I was like, you got to be fucking shitting me. And I tell my buddy who I went to the show with, I'm like, dude, we got to go see this. Uli John Roth, 70 Scorpions. And he's not that... Fr he knows some metal. He's more of an indie guy, but he likes a lot of metal, too. But uh, he wasn't familiar with 70 Scorpions. I'm like, trust me. Like, even the, the fact that he's in the U.S., we have to go. So we got the tickets, and I forgot about it. Well, I mean, not that I forgot about it, but I thought it was, like, at the end of the month. And he called me up the day of the show. And last week... Not only were we in the middle of a fight, but, man, I had two friends die. Uh, I, I had a bad sinus infection. Last thing I wanted to do was go to his show. But he calls me up. He's like, you know that Uli show tonight? I was like, oh, fuck, we got to go. You know, we got to go. So it wasn't technically at the House of Blues. There is a bar upstairs to the right of House of Blues called The Parish. And basically, if you're not even big enough to sell out the House of Blues or to have a decent draw at the House of Blues. They put you in the parish, which is really like a glorified bar, like a small bar. I'd, I'd previously seen Revolting Cox there. And I was like, oh my God, you know, that'd be amazing to see him in someplace that small. So we get there. But it was on a Thursday. That didn't help matters either. Both of us had to work the next day. Both of us get up at like five o'clock in the morning uh but you know like we gotta see it so we get there the show's supposed to start at seven we get there they postponed the show for an hour and there was a line i was like oh this is good at least people are coming out but i thought i was gonna see more people there like i thought i was gonna see like all the new orleans metal scene there you know i thought for sure you know kirk from crowbar is gonna be here Pepper's going to be here. Maybe Phil, you know, like all the people, you know, fucking uh, Sammy from fucking uh, Acid Bath and uh, fucking, oh, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, Goat Horror was going to be there. Nobody, none of like the name musicians that I always see at every metal show was there. Uh, but the show starts, Andy Timmons comes on. Not bad. Good guitar player. But he was all over the place, style-wise. So it was kind of hard to get into a vibe, because he'd have one song that was like this way, and one song that was that way. And they all sounded good, but it was so over the place, you couldn't get into like a vibe with him. But the last song that he played, I don't know what it was, but it, it was amazing. But anyway, then Jennifer Batten comes on. And, uh, man, I, I don't know. I love avant-garde guitar. I mean, my favorite guitar player of all time is Frank Zappa, of all time. 
but 90% of what she played sounded like a frog fucking a chicken. It was just, I don't know, it was just too weird. Too, I mean, she did like a, a montage of all these different songs that was kind of cool, but all it did was make me wish I was seeing the other band she was copying. Then Uli comes on. And I got to see Uli with his band. He was the only one who had a full band. I forgot to mention. Andy Timmons' drummer was sick. So he played by himself with a backing track, which was kind of lame. But I mean, his guitar was good, but to play with a backing track was really lame. Uh, Jennifer Batten did the same thing. Uli comes on with a full band, and this, this stage is so fucking small that you can barely fit, because there's Uli, two other guitar players, a bass player, the drummer, and a keyboard player. They can't even fit on the fucking stage. So first song comes on, uh, I forget what it was, a Scorpion song, and one of his guitar players is singing. Then the next song starts, and this guy comes on the stage dressed like a fucking Indian. And, you know, he's doing like a little Indian dance. I'm thinking it's a fan that got up on stage. I'm waiting for him to get tackled. And then he starts singing Sales of Sharon. I was like, holy fucking shit. And it was John West. So they kept going back and forth between John West singing and the other guitar players singing. But this dude, John West, oh my God, could he do some Kloss Mind? And Kloss is not an easy voice to do. And this guy just fucking nailed it. Problem being, this is a small bar. I've never been to a concert this fucking loud in my life. It, I mean, it was like, it was like, hurt your ears fucking loud. And I would say by the third song, 20 of the 50 people left because it was so loud it was almost unbearable. And I'm not one of those guys that wears earplugs. And I know it's stupid, but I'm like, oh, if it's too loud, you're too old. You know, but at one point, you know, me and my buddy are looking at each other. I'm like, should I go in the bathroom and get some toilet paper to put in our ears? Because, I mean, it was like hurting. It was so loud. Uh, but, you know, the faithful stayed. But a lot of people backed up and got away. But it was absolutely amazing, amazing show. Was so lucky. Now, I wanted to meet him, but because the show started so late and it was going to be like an hour after the show that it came out, uh, my buddy who drove, he's like, dude, I can't. I got to be up at five. We got to leave. So I didn't get to meet Uli, but I'm so glad I got to see it. If that uh, tour comes around your town, how many times are you going to get to see Uli John Roth in America? Uh, apparently, he said the last time he was in New Orleans was 12 years ago. He did a tour with Michael Shanker. And oh my God, would I have loved to see that. If you miss this show, uh, dude, seriously, go to your nearest ghetto and stand <laughs> right in the middle of the street and yell, and, and yell the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> You, you ever you, seen Kentucky? Because you deserve, you ever, yeah, yes, 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 the Daredevil, right? Yeah, Kentucky Fried Movie. Kentucky Fried <laughs> Movie is the movie I saw in the theater, dude. That's how old I am. And I had the poster. That theater, when that when they stopped showing the movie, I asked them, can I have the poster? And they gave it to me. I had the poster, oh, the original poster of Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, definitely a movie everybody should see. One of the best is Rex Kramer. Thrill seeker. <laughs> yeah. And I love that the greatest thing is how the movie starts. The popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Pissed in. 
Anyway, oh, I, I just want to add one last thing about Uli. Um, they had a meet and greet with Uli. Like, you can meet him, Jennifer Batten, yeah. and Tim. Yeah. You can meet them all. So, we're out there waiting to meet them, and they, they told us we had to leave because, you know, this is only for the meet and greet people. Now, I bought a t-shirt from the guy, and the guy said to me, Dude, just stand outside. Uli never, ever rejects a fan. And I was like, all right. So we all stood outside, and uh, yeah, and he came out. He's such a nice guy. I mean, I met him before, and he was as nice before. But he's very, very kind. He reminds me a lot how Dio treats his fans. He says very... And another thing, we had... This is another great thing. Uh, this guy always shows up at shows, and may, may, some people may know him. His name is Patrick Johansson, who is um, a drummer. And he plays drums for Yngwie Malmsteen. He played drums yeah. for... Was well, well, yeah, Pat, Patrick's at all the shows down there. I know him personally. Me and him are friends. Anyway, so uh, he was there, and he went up to Uli, and Uli goes, "Patrick, oh yes, the very good drummer. You're such a good drummer. I know they must have met before. He's like, oh Patrick, how you doing? Oh, you the good drummer. You're the good drummer. Yeah. What are you doing here? He's like, oh, I live here. You know. I was like, oh wow. Yeah. It's like, and then my friend Jackie. He, sh he knew her by name, too. Jackie met her him several times because Jackie's always in Europe for school purposes and she goes to all the festivals. She, he knows her as well. He was so personable with everybody. Ruben De La Rosa. I love that guy. Has a painting of Uli Rob. And, and, and he takes it to the show, right? And we're out there waiting for him to show up and I go, hey, Ruben, where's your painting? He's like, ah, fuck it. I'm like, what do you mean fuck it? He goes, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to. I was like, you brought the painting. It's in your car. And Uli's about to walk out and, and talk to us and everything. And you're not even going to bring the painting. Like all of us, get the fucking painting. So he did, and Uli loved it, man. And he signed the back. And, and look how nice it is. Not only did he sign the back to Ruben, but he asked, who drew this? Oh, her name's Heidi. Okay. And he writes something for Heidi, too, behind the fucking painting. Ian, you did the right thing by going. I did the right thing by going. Because when... Artists play a place and it's a really bad turnout, chances are they're not going to be invited back. Because club yeah. owners want to make money. And right. if they see something uh, bad like that happens, chances are they won't be back. So what you saw may have been a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Oh, yeah, and that's what I told my friend. And, you know, and he trusts me. You know, I said, look, I go, this is... this." I mean, first of all, Uli's like 61. The chances of him coming back and doing another tour, and for us to see him that close, I'm like, we, we no matter what, we have to go, and, and we did, you know. Yeah. It's unfortunate I didn't get to meet him. Uh, you know, it's funny, I tried to get, they had signed CDs by the other artists, but to get Uli's, you had to do the meet and greet. But they had an incredible deal, I mean, because a lot of these meet and greets are a ripoff. His, for $70, which isn't bad, yeah. you, got the, you got the meet and greet, you got a double CD and a T-shirt. That's not a bad deal. Oh, that is a great deal. I got, I bought the T-shirt too. I bought it's right. such a cool T-shirt. There was uh, this asshole behind me. Oh my god, this little fucking Northern Irish prick who said he only had sixty bucks and then he said he wished Lee John Roth got cancer. Oh fuck! You know what, dude? That may have been a uh, shanana. I think it was. Yeah. I, I think he was stalking me. Did he mention his mother was a whore? <laughs> yep, that's him. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Then that was him. All right, cool. So that's our Uli John Roth uh, review.
Yes. Okay, so uh, if we got time for news, let's do it. What do you got, Terry? Oh, we got some news we got to do. First of all, uh, we got to give credit to, well, not give credit to, but mention and give respect to the passing of the great George Martin passed away. Oh, my God, this morning. I mean, actually. Yeah, I, I, at work, I saw it at work, and it, it was like, fuck, you know? I did, you know, he was 90 years old, and I still didn't see it coming. Right. But, I mean, you know, not 90, 90 is a great life, but uh, what this man did to music will live forever. The Beatles wouldn't be the Beatles without this guy. And and uh, just, you know, you, you know, when you hear cocksuckers like Kanye say they're a genius, no, you're not a genius. George Martin was a fucking genius. And he would never say that. Exactly. And that's the mark of a true genius. Yep. You notice uh, I never say it either. Yeah, well, you should. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. I'm, I'm kidding! Shut up now. Let's start up show. Fuck this guy. Take another quaalude. You love me later. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, George Martin, man. Uh, talk about the end of an era. Not only, I mean, what he did with the, I mean, just what he did with the Beatles alone, but he also worked with, you know, America, Cheap Trick, UFO. Um, you know, I mean, this guy was just a maestro, a true musical genius. And uh, just like you'll never see another Beatles, you'll probably never see another George Martin. So all due respect to Sir George Martin. It's one of those things where when, you know, you find out he dies, it's like, there's certain people in life, when they die, you you get taken aback because, I don't know about you, Ian, but I looked at George Martin as like immortal, you know what I mean? Like one of those souls that would probably be here after I die. It's like I, you know, it it it, it, it does it brought me a shock. It, it was like, oh well, man, you know. And what was so genius about him? You know, if you watch, you know, older footage and you watch the anthology. Uh, I mean, here he's working with the greatest band of all time, the Beatles, but he's just, he's such an English gentleman in every sense of the word, and he's just committed to his craft and what he does and what he added, the way, you know, he added strings and all the stuff he did with the Beatles is just like, he just wanted to make the best record he could every time, and he did it, and he will, he, he will live forever. And you can and you can listen to that guy for hours. You know that's yeah. another thing about him. When he when he's interviewed, when he's in these documentaries, he always like he, the way he talks. You know his mannerisms and what he says is so interesting that you can just sit there and listen to this guy for hours and love every fucking word he says. And oh man, what you know that's messed up, man. We we lost we lost a true true legend that helped change the world the Beatles everybody oh the Beatles changed the world yeah along with this guy you know because yes. he was the fifth Beatle he really was yes. yes and you know he had a lot to do with some of their music too like Eleanor Rigby that's totally oh yeah oh yeah and, oh yeah and so much to do with the music and uh, yesterday the biggest hit they ever had I mean it was his idea to add strings you know Paul was like oh no man we're a rock band you can't and he's like, oh, just, you know, if you don't like it, we won't use it, but let's try. So, the, and look, you know, became, you know, for a while there, for decades, the most played song on the radio. You know, uh, and, and yeah. also, he told, uh, he told D. Snyder not to release uh, 
leader of the pack is a sickle. Yeah, that is true. I heard that. Yeah, that is true. And, and they went against him and they killed Twisted Sister. Yeah. And he also so thought Sean and I's mom was a whore. Oh, well. That's, I, I mean, that was shocking because he's such a gentleman, but he just couldn't resist. He said, that guy's a fucking idiot and his mom's a whore. Yeah, well, no. you know, and it's a gentleman accent. I can't. Yeah, no. He said she had more inputs than his soundboard. I mean, <laughs> you, you could just, you could plug shit in everywhere. And it all sounded bad, but it felt so good. Oh, uh, he also said, I could fart better music than that other guy does. And it is oh, true, because I've heard him fart, and it was very musical. Oh, yeah, I, I, I heard, I heard Michael Shanahan fart. This is what it sounded like. <laughs> because a potato yeah. is very large around. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right, much respect to Jordan Martin. Next story. This is, uh, this is very sad. ACDC had to cancel their tour. Um, Brian Johnson is facing he could be totally dead yeah and uh, the, the the funny thing is it's not from music it's from he is an avid uh, car racer he loves cars he loves doing all this shit and he actually uh, broke his eardrum racing hot cars without his earplugs in and he said Blood was pouring out of his ear, and uh, it, it's very sad. And and I feel bad for you because your show got canceled. Hey, just like my Motorhead show got canceled. That was the first show I ever had canceled was the Motorhead. And, you know, and, and you lost out on the ACDC show. But uh, I do not want Brian Johnson to lose his hearing. He is. If you ever see interviews with this guy, he is one of the nicest guys. Yeah in the fucking world. And you want to talk about Humble for a man who has like the number three best-selling album in the fucking world? He is the most humble guy. Shows nothing but respect for Bon Scott. Yep. Uh, just a great human being. And he is the oldest member of uh, ACDC. That I didn't know. Yeah. He's 68 years old. He's wonder, 60. Was, was, he, was he Bon's age? Uh, Bond was the oldest member. Bond died at 32. Right, 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 right. That I don't know, but I know, like, currently, he, he was the oldest member, you know. Once he joined, he was the oldest member of, of ACDC. But uh, what an incredible person, and what an incredible career. And if he has to step aside to save his hearing, do it. Uh, ACDC has been out there for a number of years making incredible music that'll live forever. He owes us nothing more. Take care of yourself. I'd rather see Brian Johnson around than for him to take a chance and, and, and you know, lose everything, you know? Yeah, uh, I am sad that because uh, I was supposed to see him uh, Friday. I don't right. know. Maybe was the Fort Lauderdale show the next show? I'm not sure. Uh, but... Yeah, uh, well, well, the, the first show that got canceled, I believe, was New York, and then yours was the next. Okay, all right. Well, either way, it, it is sad, but I just... Got because Stephen Kirsch put up a link on the Facebook page that uh, they rescheduled the show for May of next year. Yeah, uh, March, March, I believe. March of next year. That's yeah. insane. I, I was like, yes. Oh, okay, so I got a ticket to the show, so I, I'm just gonna hold on to it and let's hope uh, I'm alive by the time that comes around. You know. Well, here's the. Let's fun hope part. I don't catch cancer. 
here, here's the fucked up thing is immediately they start talking about they're going to do makeup shows with guest singers. Yes, yes, I saw that as well, but that's not really confirmed. And they also there's also a story going around saying Brian Johnson can't perform anymore, period. Right, and, and you know what? If he can't, that's okay. Brian Johnson has given us enough in this world. I mean, I, I, I it's not worth, you know, at this point, to hear the same ACDC set they've been playing for the last 20 years, I'm sorry. But it's not worth hurting himself. But there's the list of people that they have singing for him is, is insane. Uh, I, I've heard everything from Vince Neil to Mark Starachi. Well, Mark Starachi was uh, rumored to be their next singer after Bondi. That's very true. That's very true. He would be and, good. I, and, thought, and I think he'd be good. And he actually opted to stay with Crocus because he thought Crocus was about ready to break big. Yeah, that was a big mistake. You know, another yes. thing, and I've been seeing this all online, and, you know, bless the guy, but uh, Dave Evans. The original ACDC singer. Yes, like, I saw that. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to join. It's like, bro, come on, dude. You know, you're, you're all, you've only done what, like a single, like uh, "Can I Sit Next to You, Girl," and what was the other song? Um, there was two songs that were released with him rocking in the park. Oh, uh, Mike Shanahan's "Mom's a Dirty Fucking Whore." Oh, that that too. Yeah, yeah. Mark Sirachi yeah. covered that song actually. Yeah, everybody covered that dirty yeah. whore. Well, everybody covered her with calm. Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. But I'll tell you what, the worst fucking one I heard, and this just sickened me, is did you see who offered his services to ACDC? No. Sammy Hagar? Samuel Horatial Hagar. Is that his real uh, middle name? You keep saying it. Fucking Marcus Welby. Anyway, this cocksucker had the audacity to come out and say I would be a perfect fit for ACDC. I was a huge fan of Bon Scott's and in all honesty the circle is just as big as ACDC. <laughs> they, they play football stadiums and I look like the Goodyear blimp that circles the stadiums. <laughs> Uh, Jesus Christ. Now, this asshole really wants to sing for ACDC. And he also said, I feel I can add a lot to ACDC, and I can add something new. They need to experiment with more balance, and I can help with that. And keyboard. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that fucking cocksucker up with ACDC? Robin Zander. Now, that would be a great singer for ACDC. Like, uh, type in Cheap Trick, Highway to Hell. Yeah. Fucking nails it, man. But then again, that guy is a freak of nature. My favorite singer of all time. I love, love, love Robin Zander. And if he was to front ACDC, I would love that, man. But you know what? I mean, that's just because I'm such a fanboy. But to me, man, it has to be Brian Johnson, you know? Or else, just call it a day. Because, you know, you already don't have Malcolm there, which is sad. I mean, I still was going to go see them. And the main reason I wanted to see them was because they were playing Giving the Dog a Bone first time since, uh, I believe, Back in Blacker for those about to rock tour. They haven't done that song. So that was like a good addition to the. And I really loved Rocker Bus. So I, I wanted. I was very excited because I, I felt like this is my last chance to see them. Right. 
You know, well, so. almost even worse than Sammy Hagar is uh, Michael Shanahan said he would be a perfect lead singer. And uh, he said, since you wrote a whole lot of Rosie about my mother, uh, it, it's only fitting. As long as it's not Sammy, uh, I support it. But you know what? If they just want to stop, they've given us enough. Just like the next story I'm talking about. And that is Alex Lifeson has come out and said, Rush is done touring. Yeah. We kind of and saw it, this one coming. Right. This And this one has been confirmed. But once again... You know what? Hey, they did the Rush 40 tour. You should have known this shit. You should have caught it. Ralph, it was such an amazing experience. You came to New Orleans and we saw it together. You know, we got we got to go with a young Rush fan. And it was an amazing night. And you should have caught it then. I mean, the guy is... I mean, Neil Peart is just amazing. And at 60, yeah, I bet his arms are hurting and shit like that. And I would like to see him bow out gracefully. Uh, and, yeah, hope, and this is a way to do it. Yeah, and I and I, I hope they uh, I hope they can still do another studio album because I thought Clockwork Angels was a great album. Uh, but you know what? If they don't do anything again, again they gave us forty years of amazing albums, amazing tours, all this shit. If you didn't get to see it, that's unfortunate. But. They don't owe us anything, man. They, they they paid off in spades. You know, albums that you can listen to for eternity, that you can find inspiration from. And uh, there's no shame in saying, hey, I can't do it no more, you know? I, I, but, you know, I mean, there's always the option of calling Peter Chris. All righty. Uh, here's another one. Little story untitled. Tony, Tony, Tony. So Tony Iommi has come out and said that uh, after this tour, he was talking about doing some new music with Tony Martin. And who Did else? You see? What other Tony? Well, no, I just said Tony, Tony, Tony. Oh, okay. That's an R&B right. group. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, that, but, uh, it's, that to me is very exciting news, actually. Uh, I, I could care less about the new songs. I'm just glad there's a lot of fans that are upset because, you know, they can't get Headless Cross, Tear, uh, uh, Cross Purposes are forbidden. And there's definite plans to do Headless Cross and Tear. And he said later they will do Cross Purposes and uh, and Forbidden. Oh, well, I heard he was going to remix Forbidden like a year or so ago. He was going to uh, remix it or some yeah. shit. Well, in, in this article, uh, they didn't mention that, but just like a, I heard they were going to remaster fucking Born Again, and that didn't happen. Uh, but uh, I, I'm happy for the fans that, that don't have the albums. Fortunately enough, you know, I'm, I'm young enough. I bought all those when they came out on CD. I still have the original CDs so I bought. I. Yeah, I when, all, when all those. I have them all on IRS. Yeah, <laughs> you, you so know. do I. Yeah, I have all um, those. Because I'm anything Black Sabbath releases, I'm I'm right there to buy it. I I even have Cross Purposes Live, the VHS. See that, see that I don't have, and I regret. I remember seeing that in stores. It was a VHS and CD, correct? Yes, I have it, and I even have the box and everything. Yeah. And that was one of those things when it came out. I could really give a flying fuck because I wasn't that into it. But then part of me is like, 
you really need to buy this. And then I was in, I was somewhere in Illinois, like in, in a different city, and I saw it. Like after I hadn't seen it in a year, I was like, you know what? Fuck, I got, I better bite the bullet and buy this because who knows when you get it again. And I've got it, and I don't even have a VHS player, but I have it. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah, that's one regret. I mean, I do have it now, like a burned DVD of it, but. I, I remember seeing that back in the day, and I can kick myself why I didn't buy it. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. Why I didn't buy that? I don't know why I didn't buy it. It's weird. You maybe did, I maybe never... I had money problems at the time. Maybe I'll give it to you as a gift if you beat the cancer that Michael Shanahan wished upon you. Oh, well, that'd be nice. Yeah, dude. Hey, keep that fine, man. I'd love to have a copy of that. Because <laughs> I, I ain't going to watch it again. <laughs> I would love to watch that while I'm banging his whore mom's mouth. Oh, God. That'd be fun. Yeah. The best thing about that, no teeth. Yeah, exactly. Just put them in the jar, put them in the cup, Yeah. and uh, let's let's get down to it. Oh, my God. Fucking what, what? What a whore, whore Irish woman. But, oh you know, God. what do you expect from a guy that wishes cancer on somebody? They have shitty parents. And that goes without saying. Hey, I, I wished ISIS would kill Sammy Hagar and his band, but I didn't wish cancer, because that's that's just bad juju. Yeah, that's <laughs> bad juju. <laughs> Lou Graham has come out and said that he wants to uh, reunite the original lineup of Foreigner for their 40th anniversary. The original, Min like, like the first lineup? Yes, minus the bass player who died last year. But everybody else is still alive, and he said he would like... Uh, you know, Mick Jones to do this, and he thinks they should while everybody's still alive and can still do it. And I think it's great because that would free up Jeff Pilson to do the docking reunion. Alright, well, uh, your buddy D. Snyder is at it again. Oh, no, please. Again? Oh, my God, this guy just won't let up. Uh, he was complaining in a new interview about how Twisted Sister never got their due. And in one sense, he takes all the credit for decisions he made that killed the band, but he also takes all the credit for the decisions that made the band. But then he's like, I am one of the greatest frontmen of all time, and he got upset about a list that did the greatest frontmen, and he was listed uh, above Tom Mariah, and he started bragging on Tom Mariah. He's like, he's not a frontman, he's a face player. You know, and he's like, ah, oh, due respect to Slayer, but I'm D. Snyder, and you know, Slayer watch, and yeah. Slayer watched me from the side of the stage. You know, I I have to agree with him, but he shouldn't be saying it. That's too cocky for, you know, right. for somebody to say that. But uh, you know, D. Snyder is one of my favorite frontmen. I mean, you know, aside from how kooky he is these days, uh, my top three frontmen is number three is D. Snyder. Number two is uh, David Lee Roth, and number one, Dr. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, man, he needs, he needs to get over himself, man. I, I love D, but God damn, stop being so crotchety. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of crotchety singers, uh, Joe Lynn Turner, who will not stop bitching about uh, Richie Blackmore just basically playing in a black and uh, rainbow cover band, was bitching while he was playing in a rainbow cover band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what's he bitching about? He was promoted at Burger King. 
And, uh, and it's funny, he, he will not stop bitching about that. While he just did his show, and uh, the other big draw was, hey, Steve Brown from Trickster is playing guitar. Oh, boy. Uh, but his set list pretty much solely consisted of Deep Purple and Rainbow songs. And might I mention, like, he did Burn. Oh, like, boy. Bit, like, like, why don't you do uh, fucking... Uh, King of Dreams is off of Master and Slave. Why, he didn't do none of that? Like, none of the Master and Slave stuff? Well, well, I didn't... That wasn't on what they showed on, on Blabbermouth, but they show him doing Burn. Like, bitch, do songs off that shitty album you did with, like, with yeah, the... That was a bad album, too. Uh, 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 although, I, I do like King of Dreams. I do like that song. But, to me, it, it sounded like Rainbow. It wasn't Deep yeah, Purple. Yeah. You know? Uh, but, yeah, he won't let it go, but it's like... And you're doing the same thing you're yelling at Richie Blackmore for. You're playing with a bunch of people you don't have to pay money to, and now he's doing the same fucking thing. He's just pissed that he's not getting the same recognition uh, because he does have a better wig than Blackmore. There you go. It's all about the wig. Yep. Well, speaking of bald motherfuckers, uh, TMZ recently cornered Mark Kendall from Great White. Oh, I saw this. This was weird. Uh, it was weird. I understand it in a way, and then in a way, it's like, I don't no, know. Let me ask you. When they played that show, they weren't known as Jack Russell's Great White. It was just Great White, wasn't it? Well, no, 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 no. No, honestly, like, I, I remember back to this time, it was Jack Russell's Great White. I do remember this because I was even on, on uh, you know, internet chat rooms back then. It was just, uh... Jack Russell, and then he did he did bring in Mark Kendall halfway through the tour, and and there was nobody else from Great White. But I do see what you say. A lot of people they were billing it as Great White because if you say Jack Russell's Great White, that's like saying uh, Joe Lynn Turner's Deep Purple. Right. <laughs> you know nobody's gonna show up. But basically, what he was saying was. Uh, you know, the guy asked a smart-ass question. He was like, oh, do you still use pyro? Which is a very rude question. Because yeah. that was... I mean, okay, probably everybody's made a fucking great white fire joke. But it was a fucking tragedy. I mean, a lot of people... That is actually the fourth largest fire disaster in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. Um, exactly 100 people died. Yeah, horrible. And, and a good friend of mine was from that town. And he's from Rhode Island. He knew a lot of people who died. He's like, hey, Rhode Island's small. Like, everybody knows everybody. He's like, I knew a lot of people who died in that fire. Wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, asked him, you know, you know, it was. It was a shitty thing to say, you know, do you still use pyrotechnics? But uh, he stressed, like, hey, that wasn't great white. That was Jack Russell. And he pointed out, you can see in the lawsuit, great white did not get sued. Jack Russell Turing got sued. And that's who had to pay a million dollars. And uh, but that's kind of hard because Great White, no matter where they tour, there's going to be that stigma for the rest of their career. I mean, regardless of what you think of Great White, they will always be aligned with that tragedy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see why he wants to point that out because he wants to distance himself. 
But still, in all intents and purposes, at that point, it probably was great white. But it, it was not billed as that, though. I will, I will back them up. There. If you look at the but, history uh, of great white, I think I mean correct me if I'm wrong because I'm 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 a little I'm I'm not the biggest great white fan, but I love that first album. By the time right. uh, Shot in the Dark, whatever that second album was called, right, um, right. wasn't already the bass player and drummer already gone? Uh, it was, yeah, it was a different bass player and drummer. I mean, the band was pretty much, you know, throughout their history was Mark Kendall and Jack Russell. And and there was people in what you would consider the classic lineup, like Artie Dubrow on drums, Michael Landry on uh, uh, keyboards and rhythm guitar, uh, Tony Montana on bass. Um, but, 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 but basically, the, the whole point of my uh, thing is, by the way, rest in peace, Lauren Green, the great bass player from the first album. Um, the, that lineup yes. that was in the fire, yeah, it's called Jack Russell's uh, fine, uh, uh, logistically and uh, written down right. and whatever. But it still was only two original members. Right. But uh, what Mark Kendall was saying is... No, I understand. Was just, yeah, I understand right, what right, saying. Right. But right. my point is, he's touring now in a band that should be called Mark Kendall's. Great White, don't you agree? Because there's only yeah. one original member in that one. Right, well, I mean, they have, uh, I think it's like, I mean, I believe they have three, if not four, members of the what you would consider the classic lineup, or if you will, the MTV lineup. Right. Uh, you know, and they have the singer from XYZ, uh, is the guy singing it for them now. And to me, I mean, you, you, you can't, regardless of what you think of Great White, you can't replace Jack Russell and Great White. You can't you replace know? really singers and bands. That, that's the main thing. Just about every band, you really can't replace a singer. As much as I love Motley Crue with Karabi, that wasn't Motley Crue. Correct. I, I, I believe that 100%. You know? And I think they could have got more acceptance well, with a different name. But it, it, it would have been more of a draw and all this shit to call it. Motley Crue. I mean, the same way, I mean, look at uh, Tony Iommi with Seven Star. That was a solo album, and the record company but said no. You know what singer I think should be replaced? I mean, I would be fine if they replaced him. Uh, Sammy Hagar. Yes. From his own band. Yes. From yes, Bette, Bette Midler should just come out there and do Wind Beneath My Wings, yeah. and sh she would nail it better than him. You know, And you know who should replace Sammy Hagar and it'd be better, right? I know you see this one coming up, 12th Avenue. Go ahead, Ian. You take it. Who would be a better singer than Sammy Hagar in in the Sammy Hagar band? Go ahead. Oh shit, you don't know? Who's that? Shanahan, man. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> He'd be a better oh. singer. <laughs> oh, three three lock potato box. Can you believe? Oh, can, can you just see it? Van Shanahan. <laughs> Doing the Van Hagar hits. Oh my God! Yeah, that's yeah, who should replace Dave, right? I'd rather have uh, Shanahan singing in Van Halen than, or Van Hagar, or Van Halen than Sammy Hagar. You're right about that. They could do like nothing but Sharon songs. Oh my God! Uh, all right, what do I got left for stories? Oh, uh, while we're, we were talking about Richie Blackmore, Rainbow is releasing a new, well, I don't know if Richie has anything to do with it, but a new Rainbow live CD and DVD is coming out. Oh, really? What lineup? 
Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Graf Bonnet, huh? Yes, yes. Oh, no shit. Of course Richie must not have anything to do with it. This is a uh, performance from the very first Monsters of Rock. Oh, cool. That whole show. Which I love. Well, 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 okay, well, hold on, hold on. It's not the complete show. Okay. It's, it, it, it's what survived. Okay. Uh, right, there, there is, there, there is uh, I think, most of the audio, but uh, only a portion of that is on the DVD. Because this shit was all savage. Uh, I mean, salvaged from uh, people's tapes. Now, what I have heard... And I'm the wrong person to ask about this because I'm not a fan of this lineup. But there is a widely split, uh, spread bootleg of that show. And by most accounts, it was not a good show. That's well, just what I've heard. Well, I have it. I, I, I have what I'm sure they're going to... I'm sure what Savage... I have a videotape of that lineup of the Castle Donington show. And I can tell you, I mean, it wasn't bad what, what I saw, like... But man, it has an amazing version of this. I don't. I don't remember the title of the song, but it's it's an old '50s song that goes, "Tonight you're mine completely." You know that yeah. song? Yeah. That they do an amazing version to that song, and I, you know I'm sure it's going to be on there. And you know my my version's a little generational, so I welcome this. So yeah, this is great news. I didn't know about well, that. Well, happy. we'll we'll see. And here's some breaking news. Uh, you know, we uh, we got an upcoming episode that deals with this lineup. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know when it'll air. I think we should air it next week. Well, there you go. But I am not this big Grand Bonnet fan. In fact, I'm very. Uh, yeah, I just don't like the guy. Right. Uh, but I was recently turned on to an album that I've never listened to by uh, uh, somebody who's in the doghouse right now. But we'll try to work that out. But. Justin Childers requested on my radio show this song called Desert Song. I love that song. Off of that Michael Schenkel. Schen yeah, it's one of my favorite yes. songs that Michael Schenker ever releases in so long. An amazing tune. It's kind of like right. his Stargazer, his Cashmere. Right. And and so, you know, on my radio show, hey, if, if you're good enough to listen, I'll, I'll play your request if I have it. I happen to have it, but I never listened to it. And I was blown away by the song. I really enjoyed it. And then I went back that night and listened to that whole album. Loved it. And in fact, at the point of recording this, I have a lot of Michael Shankers. I haven't heard of them all, but this could quite possibly be uh, my most favorite Michael Shanker album. Man, you know, my favorite is actually the first two, but that's a great album. Well, I, I, take, I mean, I, lo I love certain songs. I'm not completely sold on Gary Barton, the singer. I like and, and, uh, but, you know, I love On and On, of course, is classic. But uh, the, the thing with uh, Graham Bonnet is uh, Cozy Powell was the one who said, get rid of Gary He said he's not a lead singer. He's not a star. You need to get a star. So against Michael Schenker's wishes, they, they kicked Gary Barton out, got fucking Graham Bonnet, and they recorded the album, which I love now, Assault Attack. And they only did one show where Graham Bonnet was so drunk, he, like, took his pants off and whipped out his dick and shit. And that was the... <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, yes. That He only did one show with the Michael Shanker group. I did and, not know about this. Yeah, wow. yes. 
And as soon as that was done, he got Gary Barton back. They did Built to Destroy, you know, and the and the live album and everything. But yeah, uh, Graham Bond only worked lasted for one album and one show, and then he left to form Alcatraz. Which, because of my change of heart with uh, Assault Attack, I took your advice and I re-listened to Alcatraz. Right. I still like Assault Attack better. Okay. You didn't. You didn't uh, 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 Alcatraz did nothing for you. I wouldn't say that it did nothing. I enjoyed it more than the Rainbow album, right. but um, I did not like. I, I hated the keyboards on the album, and I don't think this. The, the songs were as strong as on the Michael Shanker album. Okay. And and in my opinion, I could be wrong, but I don't think fucking Graham like I gotta take this shit. You know, vocals were as much on the Michael Shanker album where I think he strained so much on fucking uh, Rainbow and, and Alcatraz. But yeah, the, and the keyboards on Alcatraz killed it for me where you don't have that on the Michael Shanker album. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, go ahead. That, that's my opinion, and it could change because, you know, uh, a week ago, if you told me I liked any album with Graham Bonnet on it, I, you're fucking crazy. Right. Well, but, uh, but, but, but speaking of Graham Bonnet, I don't know if you read this, but they're releasing, Graham Bonnet's having some releases. Um, they're releasing like an anthology of them. Right. And they're they're going to re release uh, the Alcatraz album with a bunch of bonus stuff. Yeah, he needs to release a fucking turd and stop straining like that, you know. Uh, in, in my in my opinion. But I, hey, I'm hoping they release that uh, Tokyo show that Alcatraz did. It was, well, they did they did that. Uh, you know that they played Desert uh, uh, Desert Song with Ingbe. Alcatraz yeah. did that song. I'd like to hear that. And, and I have to say, I was kind of underwhelmed by. Uh, Ingbe's guitar playing on the Alcatraz album. Wow, and I love uh, it. Uh, an oh, amazing, what? an amazing live album, live sentence. You gotta check that I, out. I, I have it, but I haven't listened to it. It's amazing. But I will say, I will say the same thing about Ingbe's playing on the Steeler album. Oh uh, wow, I love that shit. Well, t- t- well, what kills it for me? It kills it. Funny, I said that. What kills it for me is Ron Keel, and I mean no disrespect. He was a nice guy. Came on the show. Not a fan of Ron Keel's voice. Right. At all, uh, but you know that's just me. He was a nice guy. Came on the show, um, but yeah, that kind of killed it for me on the Steeler album. And uh, like I said, the Alcatraz between Graham Bonnet like straining too much, and the keyboards killed it. But man, what he did on Assault Attack, dude, to me, I was so excited to find that because you know I we always get in these production talks, you know, and, and to me. The greatest sounded albums come out between like 75 and 85. And to me, it just has that great, like early, I think, I don't know if it was Ron Nevinson that produced it, but I just love the sound of that Michael Shanker album. And I think the songs are good. Graham Bonnet did a good job. So, uh, hey, uh, Leopard gets change of stripes. You never know. Yeah, hysteria. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. But, uh, but yeah, listen to a forthcoming episode on Rainbow to see what I think about that one. Next week! <laughs> Alright, uh, well, fuck it, man. We, we've talked a lot, and uh, like I said in a little teaser for this episode, we pride ourselves in talking about lesser-known bands and lesser-known albums. 
but let's throw that shit out the window and try to get some ratings. We got a little band here called Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And uh, you might have heard this one. This is their third album. Let's talk about it. Okay, uh, Led Zeppelin 3 released in 19... Was it 1970 or 71? 70. 1970. Man, they were shitting out albums back then because... Well, Led Zeppelin 2 was 1971. No, uh, Led Zeppelin 1 and 2 were 69. And how about Zeppelin 4? Zeppelin 4 was 71, I believe. Wow. Or, or uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 71 or 72. I think it's 71. Well, anyway, so... Uh, I love this album. I love Led Zeppelin, man. I mean, Led Zeppelin, for me, did no wrong till till John Bonham died. That's, you know, they released that that mishmash album. I know, we already talked about In Through the Outdoor. I love it for nostalgic reasons, but it's my least favorite of the real Led Zeppelin albums. And I don't I don't consider Coda a Led Zeppelin album. Sorry. I consider Coda better than In Through the Outdoor. Yeah, I, I listened to In Through the Outdoor just the other day. I remember you saying that and me laughing hysterically. Um, <laughs> but, um... This album is groundbreaking. It's it's uh, something uh, you you mentioned earlier, um, in, uh, I think the last episode we did, where John Paul Jones said, "Now nobody's going to compare it to Black Sabbath." Yes, because uh, they threw you know basically this is a very acousticy album, with the exception of uh, most of the songs on side one. But uh, you have any backstory on Led Zeppelin 3? Because I don't. Oh, well, just... It was probably one of the last Zeppelin albums that I got into. Uh, and, and I know this is going to sound weird, but I would say this and Physical Graffiti were the last ones. You know, when I became like a huge Zeppelin fan, these were the last ones that I got and got into. But I love Led Zeppelin 3. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, I love it because it's so different. It sticks out. This is uh, their least selling album. Uh, I think it may be between this and Coda, but this is this wasn't a huge seller for them, and it's their only one in in their home country that doesn't have a certification. Uh, I'm shocked. I, I, I would have figured Presence be the less because uh, Presence is the most uh, less radio friendly. Led Zeppelin album is. You never hear nothing off presence on the radio. No, well, I mean, I mean, you'll hear nobody's fault but mine, and probably that's about it. But you got to consider how big they were when that came out. So probably the initial sales were through the roof. I mean, because that's coming on the back of physical graffiti. Um, well, I guess may, it, maybe in uh, New Orleans, down here, an immigration song, immigrant song, is played way more than. I, I, I never hear nobody's fault but mine. I've heard it on, what is that show, Get the Let Out? You have that over there? Right. Yeah, oh yeah, everybody's got to get the let out. But no, I mean, when I lived in Central Florida, you heard Zeppelin, of course you hear Zeppelin every fucking day to the point where it's almost ruined Zeppelin for me. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, you know, that that is the one you will hear off of this. But I think the sales were initially kicked off because they were at their peak, you know, when, when Presents came out. But uh, this album was a left turn for them, but I think it's uh, very important in their development and their career. I had some of my all-time favorite Led Zeppelin songs on this album. My favorite ballad is on this album from Led Zeppelin. Nice. 
But uh, you want to start, or do you have any more to say about Zeppelin 3? Well, I just want to say, I don't know when this episode's going to air, but I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback lately that you might consider negative. Uh, We had a review on iTunes that was uh, very poor and said that we don't do a lot of research. And even when I met our beloved superfan, Lee Gersman, he said, "What's, what's up with the Ayatollah? He said, the early episodes, you were like, fucking kill them all. And now you're like, reload. You need to step it up. So I'm going to step it up. And, uh, you know, so I did a lot more research on this than I normally do. There are certain songs here I already knew about. Certain songs, I found out all kinds of shit that I didn't know. So I'm going to do my best to entertain you, the fans, with a wide span of knowledge on this album that uh, we both love. So, I'll take the first song, and that is the Immigrant Song. Holy shit. One of their heaviest. I mean, a short song, you know, you you think it's a classic, but if you look at the the time on it, it's a short song. But man, does it pack a punch. And that fucking scream, that, ah, you know, fucking, my voice cracking, but amazing. Sticks out like a sore thumb on this album. But incredible. One thing I didn't know about this song until I was, you know, I'm like, fuck it, step up my game, do some research. It's a cover. I had no idea. This song was originally written in 1968 by Donald Trump. What? Yes, by Donald Trump. And he knew back then that we were going to have a problem with immigrants. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, when Zeppelin covered it, they, they did take a little leeway. They changed the lyrics. But originally, you know, lyric the music was the same. Donald Trump wrote the music. But lyrically, it was different. It was all about how Mexicans in particular were going to come over here and do all the jobs that white people don't want to do for a small amount of money. And then he got kind of, you know, environmental because he's like, there's going to be too many of them because they're Catholic. So they don't fucking use birth control. They're going to reproduce too much. And then he also pointed out that Mexicans are rapists. And by that, again, it leads back to, you know, being Catholic because a lot of them are priests, which means they're going to fuck little boys in dresses. Uh, Wow. But yeah, uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant heard this song. They're like, musically, this is awesome. But they changed the lyrics to make it more like, uh, you know, about Vikings and uh, they took inspiration from a tour they did in Iceland. And, uh, you know, made it sound like, you know, this is Vikings coming to conquer and shit like that. But it, what it's really about in its original form is the hatred of Mexicans and how we need to build a wall. Wow. But I, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, man, I'm on a fact-finding mission. And, I, and it's wild because uh, while we're recording this, that's a very topical, you know, now Donald Trump is known as you know, this uh, anti-immigrant guy running for president. That's, while we're recording this, it's uh, Donald Trump is still running for president. Who knows, by the time we air this, he may be president already. Yeah. And and the guy from Lama God's leaving the country. Thank God. I hope Donald Trump wins just for that. Oh, well, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But yeah, it was originally titled the anti-immigration song. 
but Led Zeppelin got a hold of it, changed it up a little bit, and now it's a song that everybody knows and loves. What do you think of the immigration song, Ralph? I think it may be the heaviest Led Zeppelin song ever. And they have heavy songs like Achilles Last Stand, Communication Breakdown, uh, what else? They have a lot of heavy tunes. The Wonton song. But this one is just so bam, you know, and I love, I mean, for that, you know, I own that book, Hammer of the Gods, and it wasn't until, uh, I'm I'm so dense. I've heard this album a million, zillion times, and I never knew that was the first lyric. Hammer of the Gods, we find a ship to New Lands, but, you know, it finally dawned me, oh, that's why they called the book Hammer of the Gods. Uh, Immigration song fucking rules. Something about this album, I did a little research myself, um, and uh, every song on this album was played live but one. There's one song that wasn't played live, and there is one song that was played only once live. Wow! I did not know that. Yes, the, the one song that was only played once live is the next song, Friends. Wow! Friends was played once in Japan in 1971. And the only reason they played it was because John Bonham passed out. And they, wow. yeah, yeah, it's a true story. So I, I read that online. So, uh, and Friends, I, I love Friends. And uh, I, the only thing I got against the, I, I don't really like the title of the song, Friends. It doesn't really match the music. I think they should have called it something else. Um, but I love the strings in the song. It's a, such a strange tune. But I love the strings. I love the, the vibe of it. And the vocals. I'm telling you now. And the bongos. Um, I, I'm a, I, I love Friends. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler. I love every song on the album but one. There's one song I just don't like on the album. Never did. Never got it. But this one... Uh, not one of my favorites off the album, but it's a great song. I, I love the vibe. My only complaint is the title, Friends. It just, I don't know, for some reason, musically, it doesn't really fit the title of the song. But it's a great song. What do you think? Uh, I love this song. I, I think it's a great song. It really sets the tone for the, the rest of the album. Because Immigration Song is kind of a, a, a misleader. Like, if you think the rest of it's going to sound like that, you're... You're totally wrong. But uh, here's another little known fact. This song, they originally wrote, I mean, they did good in America with Led Zeppelin 1 and 2, but they were trying with this album to appeal to more fans. And there was a chance to write a theme song for a sitcom. (laughs) And uh, they threw their hat in the ring. They said, hey, we're going to write this song, you know, for this show, Friends. But as much, you know, many times it happens in Hollywood, uh, it was caught in developmental hell. Yeah. And, and yeah, the show didn't end up coming out until like the mid-90s. <laughs> and, and by that time, Led Zeppelin was considered very passe, you know, in, in, in old man's music. And they ended up going to a song by a one-hit wonder in America called the Rembrandts. But, uh, you know, their version of Friends... I, I, I dig it. it. It's a good song, but that song by the Rembrandts, definitely a better sitcom theme song 
than this one. And it fits, and it fits the title better too. Yeah, yeah, to totally. Because this, you know, I, I, I don't know. This one was good. You know, I appreciate what they were trying to do here. I think they missed the mark. It's great on the album, but as a sitcom theme song. Yeah. yeah, you know when I when I listen to Led Zeppelin's friend, the last thing I think about is Courtney Cox. Right, right, yeah, or David Schwimmer. You know, that's David yeah. Schwimmer. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, then we skip that uh, failed attempt at a fucking uh, theme song, and we go into the next one, Celebration Day. Bleeds right into it. Oh yeah, I love that fade, the fade. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That, that, Oh man, oh, fucking sexy ass fucking groove. But you know, I love you know it. one thing we didn't mention about Friends. Friends could have fit on side two. True. Friends is very acousticy. It's got that vibe of side two, where the rest of side one doesn't have the vibe of side two. Right. Go ahead. But uh, this one, man, sexy as hell. Got a great groove, and it shows a tremendous amount of growth on this album uh you know for the for the band and what really stands out for me is the guitar tracks because there's not like one guitar track but like 50 fucking different like like to hear led zeppelin proper live you would need like fucking almost uh you know littered skinner-esque guitar players you would need fucking four guitar players playing four different guitars to get it to sound like the record but uh, absolutely love Celebration Day. It originally was called Kwanzaa, but uh, they couldn't couldn't find nothing wrong with Kwanzaa. Which I find is funny is they ended up calling it Celebration Day, but all you hear is Celebration. You don't hear Celebration Day. But yeah, it was actually about the African holiday Kwanzaa. Wow. Yeah, but uh, it's amazing. Robert Plant uh, went on record saying that he wrote this song about like his first trip to New York. And a lot of this is about, you know, coming to America, seeing New York, uh, all the different shit that was going on in America at that time, you know, with the Vietnam War and all the protests, you know, has lyrics about, you know, your hair and shit like that and, you know, being judged for looking different and just how crazy and oppressive yet beautiful America was at the same time for, you know, some guys from Birmingham, England. To, you know, to come over and witness this. And uh, I dig Kwanzaa slash Celebration Day. What do you uh, think? I, I love it too. Uh, I find it kind of weird because it's kind of like considered a deep track, but back in the 70s, this was kind of a mainstay on uh, their set list. Uh, they did not play it on the reunion album Celebration Day, which is odd. Uh, but... Um, I really like the song a lot, uh, musically, but, you know, again, it's not like one of my favorite tunes on here. You know, I put it kind of low, you know, it's one of these albums, dude, that I like every song except for one, and then the ones, there's ones I like much more than others, and Celebration Day, it's kind of low. I like all the other songs more, with the exception of one. Um, but I'll go into the next one. The next one is uh, Since I've Been Loving You which is a very bluesy song that really does showcase uh, how technically killer Jimmy Page can be. You know, Jimmy Page is known as a sloppy guitar player, but then, I mean, this is a guy that 
would go up on stage and fucking on heroin. Because if you look at, I'll, I'll give you an example. Ian, do you own the Led Zeppelin DVD that came out like, I don't know, 2000 or 99? Has several shows on it. Yeah, yeah, the one with the mountains on it or some shit. Yes, yes. Yeah, that yeah, one. yeah, 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 yeah. All right, if you if you look at that DVD, like look at the first shows, man. Like Earl's, not Earl's Court. I forgot which is the that one where they open with uh, "We Got a Groove." Oh, yeah. uh, People's Court. <laughs> yeah, with Judge Wapner. Yeah, um, they weren't. Uh, Jimmy wasn't sloppy at all. He was on, you know, and. Uh, it's just that one, you know, he, he, around, I guess, uh, Song Remains the Same, the you know, that Madison Square show, he's pretty sloppy on it. Even since I've been loving you on that. It's good. He does play really great at times. And then at times he's very sloppy. Well, on this one, and I don't really think it's studio magic because back then I don't think there was studio magic. I think Led Zeppelin was like one of those bands like in the early days would you know be on the road i know i know zeppelin 2 was recorded while they were on the road they they would go in the studio and then go back on the road go back to the studio back and forth i think zeppelin 3 they did stay in the studio but it was kind of you know one take type shit you know and uh i think his playing is flawless probably his best guitar playing ever on any led zeppelin song i think is on since i've been loving you i think it's an amazing song um, very bluesy and awesome. Let me ask you a question, Ian. Uh, Led Zeppelin um, are known as rip-off artists. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think they've ripped off anything after uh, Zeppelin 4. I can't think of anything. Uh, was there anything robbed from Zeppelin 3? Uh, well, I mean, th there's some songs on here that were traditional songs that they kind of made their own. Uh, you know, songs we're going to get into later. Ugh. But, uh, I mean, Rob is, Rob is kind of subjective. You know, because everything is based on uh, your influences and what you've heard and how you interpret it. Well, come on. I mean, Dazed and Confused. I mean, and, uh, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, uh, what's another one? There's songs that were blatantly, I mean, there was a song called Days and Confused that had the same bass line and same lyrics. Right, but I, I mean, there's somewhere where you definitely borrow influences, but you put your own stamp on okay, it. Well, and, you know, I, okay, well, okay. And, and then there was the guy from Nickelback who wrote that song for Spider-Man that is basically Kissed by a Rosary written. You know that that to me that's more of a ripoff. Like you don't even put your own stamp on it; you just change a few words. But uh, Zeppelin took some lyrics and some vibe, but definitely made it their own. In my opinion. No, I mean I agree with you. I'm I'm one of these people that think the whole thing's exaggerated. How much they stole? There is great examples, like what I just said, Days and Confused. I know there's a couple other ones, but. The, the one, uh, what was it, Stairway to Heaven? There was a band called, what was it, Taurus? Uh, uh, oh, no, no, it was, uh, oh, no, uh, Spirit. 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 Was it Spirit? Okay. Yeah. That, you can hear it, but you can see how Jimmy took that and added a few notes and made it more. Dude, Stairway to Heaven is so fucking epic. That whole thing where they're blamed for ripping off 
this band with Stairway to Heaven where it's only the intro, you know, to, to Stairway to Heaven. And it's, I can hear it, but Jimmy Page added shit to it. So what you were explaining about, oh, it's far-fetched, say, that's a great example right there. Well, yeah, that's like saying, no, okay, maybe you're not the first guy to make your old lady come, but you made her come a lot harder than the last guy. You know, then that's how I look at Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, I mean, what I, what band what band did they rip off for Cashmere? What band did right. they rip off for you know, uh, uh, In the Light or Achilles uh, Last Stand or uh, you know? Hanoi Rocks? <laughs> okay, um, so um, my point is, uh, um, since I've been loving you, going back, well, it is a traditional blues song. I don't know because I, I was thinking, was this one ripped off? You know, I mean. Was there a song called Since I've Been Loving You Before? I'm not sure about that one. Because, you know, because I was thinking right now, looking at my notes, I was like, which, by the way, I have notes for this show. I, I hardly ever have notes. But I do own the Led Zeppelin, what, 2000, was it released this year or last year? Uh, This year. Yeah, it was this year. I bought the whole box that brings the vinyl and the CDs and a big book and and an ex, you know, it has a companion disc, which I want to talk about. And, um, and uh, what do you call it? I just was looking at this thinking to myself, wait a second, I don't see any songs here that were known as songs they ripped off. And I know Zeppelin 1, Zeppelin 2, and Zeppelin 4 do have songs that were, you know, uh, talked about. And I find it weird that the guy that wrote that, that the band Spirit, uh, sued Led Zeppelin, what, in 2012 or something? Like 40 yeah. years after it was recorded? Yeah. Anyways, go ahead. It actually happened at the same time he was getting foreclosed on, on his mortgage. So. Oh, there you go. What a coincidence. Yeah. Um, but uh, since I've been loving you, like I said, great blues number and my favorite Jimmy Page uh, guitar playing on all their albums, along with the instrumental on Physical Graffiti, Bon Yarn, what is it called? Yeah, Bon Yarn, yeah, whatever. Whatever it's know. called, that I love that little acoustic piece, it's beautiful. Anyway, so what do you think about uh, Since I've Been Loving It? Oh, it's a, it's a beautiful ballad. And what I love about this song is everybody pulls their weight on this one. Uh, all four of them add such amazing shit to this song. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it's just incredible. I mean, this is a band that is so fucking tight and and so incredible. And there's something beautiful yet evil at the same time about this. You know what I love? You know that that guitar lick. It's it, it's it's haunting and beautiful. Um, originally, though, uh, you know, a lot of people. Uh, may or may not know this, but uh, Jimmy Page was into the occult and all kinds of weird shit. Originally, this song was about necrophilia. But at the time, man, you couldn't say shit like that. You know, you couldn't get on the radio. Uh, so the lyrics were changed. But, uh, you know, originally it was about necrophilia. And uh, I'm trying to find the lyrics here. Oh, okay, here we go, here we go. I got the lyrics. All right, you're starting to smell a little bit ripe, but I'm going to still lay that pipe. You're turning a little bit blue, 
since I've been loving you. Wow. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, but that was too risque, you know, for radio back then. And they weren't into all that Aleister Crowley shit. So they changed the lyrics, made it a little bit more lovey-dovey and, you know, heartfelt. But that's originally what it was. You know, it was a nice little ballad about necrophilia. You know, and, but it just shows you how far ahead of time they were with, you know, uh, you know Slayer, you know, years, yeah, no, years I, forward. Actually, I was going to say, I did hear this story, and I heard, like, at the very end, Robert Plant yelled, down to the fiery pits of hell. Down to the right. fiery pits of hell. He does that, but, you know, they, like you said, they, they headed out. Slayer ripped off something. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As much as they get claimed to rip, being ripped off, uh, there's so many Slayer songs that rip off Zeppelin, oh, and, yeah. and, it, and this is a prime example. Uh, so then we go into the next song, which is Out on the Tiles. If you, uh, uh, before we get into Out on the Tiles, one thing, uh, another thing I want to bring up, I could be wrong on this, but it is well documented that back then, I can't remember what Led Zeppelin album it was, but there was a studio that Zeppelin, The Stones, all these people would record albums, and there was a cricket. Did you, you ever heard this story? No. There was a cricket in the studio that ended up on classic recordings. And I believe Since I've Been Loving You has that cricket. Because if you listen closely to the very beginning, uh, where the drums first come in and it's very quiet, I kind of hear a little chirp. Listen to it next time you did. I think Since I've Been Loving You has that cricket on that recording. And supposedly it's also on Rolling Stones. It's on a Rolling Stones album. And I think... Crosby, Stills, and Nash, whatever. I mean, anybody out there, Google the Cricket in the Studio classic rock albums. And I believe, I could be wrong. It may not be on Since I've Been Loving You, but I think I do hear that chirp and that very quiet beginning with the drums and the little soulful, bluesy guitar playing. But, uh, all right, go into Out in the Tiles. All right, well, enough about Jiminy Cricket. We're going to go into the next one, which is... Uh, out on the tiles, holy shit. Uh, Bonzo, man, Bonzo all over this motherfucker. And this was written kind of, uh, it was a saying, uh, you know, it's an English saying, but one Bonham would say all the time, I'm going out on the tiles, which is English slang for I'm hitting the bars, I'm doing this, uh, I'm going out, I'm going to find, you know, some fun. And what a badass song. Oh, I, I love this. What a great way. I believe this ends side one, correct? Yes, it does. Yeah, what a badass way to end it. And here, a, a band that I'm sure you probably hate, Blind Melon, yeah. uh, did an incredible cover of this on a Zeppelin tribute album called Immunicon or Communicus. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that shit. But anyway, they did a badass cover. But, you know, nobody's going to touch the Zeppelin version. And this just has Bonzo written all over it. The attitude, the drumming, the playing. An incredible track. I love this song. What do you think, Ralph? Did you ever see that show? What's that show where Sebastian Bach, Ted Nugent? Uh, Supergroup. They played this song, Supergroup. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was in one of the episodes. Uh, I think they played it live, too. And it was pretty damn good. Um, Savage Animal. Savage Animal, Savage yeah. Animal. Uh, I love Out in the Tiles. It's a fucking amazing song. As I told you, I did a little research. This song was played only a couple times in 1970. It wasn't like a mainstay, but it was played live, but not many times. 
Um, though they did play the intro a lot in future shows, like if you watch Song Rings the Thing. Uh, what is it? Is it that song? I know there's one song, yeah, that they play the beginning out of the title and they go into Black Dog. Uh, anyway, I love this song. And another, I mean, everybody on this song is awesome, but you know, the bottom and Clamp, but man, the bass playing on this song is fucking badass. Like, they're, they're, I think it, it showcases uh, the most underrated uh, musician in uh, Led Zeppelin is, uh, what's his face? Uh, John, John, Paul Paul, John Paul Jones. Uh, great bass playing on it. It's just total groove. Very heavy. Um, unfortunately, Led Zeppelin doesn't allow uh, my my homemade videos on YouTube, but I made a video for this song. Pretty badass. Uh, there is a couple of my Led Zeppelin videos that did make it on YouTube, weird enough. Immigration song. Uh, my version of Immigration, but most of them got banned anyway. Uh, yeah, but Don Donald Trump said that one could pass. Yeah, it was because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump owns the right to that one. You That's know, true. I, I also, you didn't bring this up, but it's because of Led Zeppelin, Donald Trump's a millionaire. They gave him money for it, and he just built an empire from it. There you go. True story. From uh, from the blood of immigrants. There you go. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, my point is is that uh, Out of Tile is probably my second favorite, maybe? I don't know. It's up there. It's it's up there with Im Immigrant Song. Maybe Immigrant Song I like a little more, but Out of Tile is a motherfucking killer song. And, you know, you think about it on this album. It sticks out like a th sore thumb with Immigrant Song. I think everything else kind of like gels together. But that's fine, though. It's a weird album, but it's a great album. Now we're going to flip the album over. And we're going to go into side one, which is the all-acoustic side. Zeppelin three is um, Gallows Pole, which uh, became a single when... Uh, Plant and Page got together in the 90s. I think 90s, right? Yeah. And uh, Gallows Pole is a fucking awesome song. I always love this song. Uh, swinging from the Gallows Pole. Hangman, you know. It's your typical, you know, running from the law type song. and uh, Kind of uh, grim. And uh, I love the hell out of Gallows Pole. Like the whole album. You know, one thing we didn't talk about was the album packaging. I love that little wheel, you know, and I, you know, I own the original vinyl and I got this new one. I always had that wheel on, uh, on bottom, you know, cause it has these little holes that when you spin the wheel, it shows like when you get a picture of John Bonham, all the little other holes, you know, shows John Bonham or other stuff, but it all matches together. I think that's pretty awesome packaging. There's never seen anything like that. And I think that's pretty damn original the the packaging on this um, and you know the, the 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 box and I think you know all I own is two of the Led Zeppelin boxes they brought out Led Zeppelin three and uh, physical graffiti the reason I don't have all the other ones is because I I'm not as rich as Donald Trump I mean these these things are expensive they're like 130 bucks each but I did go out and buy three and um, you know, out of all that I bought, I bought Zeppelin three and Physical Graffiti. Those are the only two I bought. You know, there was like 130 bucks each. 
but I did go on by, and I do plan on getting all the rest of them because it's an amazing, amazing package with a, a killer huge book, and it's it's like huge. I have it's in a big box, you know. And in order for me to listen to it, it you know, I gotta unpack a lot of shit. So, but anyway, I love uh, Gallows Cult. Fucking, uh, it's it's like probably the heaviest acoustic tune on this. Uh, Side two. What do you think of Gallows Cult? Uh, I love it. Now this is one that was. It's a it's a traditional song uh, that they kind of changed a little bit, and made it their own. But I love what they did with it. I love what they did with it on this album. I hated the version on fucking uh, No Quarter when it was Plant Page and they got the hurdy gurdy and all that fucking bullshit. You know, I gotta listen to that again, Ian, because my memory, I feel like, I, I, I thought it was like identical. No, it's not? No, it's different. They had all this shit and that's all fucking Robert Plant. You want to talk about a pretentious bitch and that's Robert Plant. Uh, I mean, all due respect, I mean, the man is a legend. Uh, was a legend. You know, but he does so much shit to distance, distance himself from the past. And, like, why? When you have such an amazing past, you know, do you try to keep on, like, pushing yourself away from it? And I, I really think he was the one that pushed John Paul Jones out of that whole reunion. I think probably Jimmy Page wanted John Paul, John Paul Jones there. But at that point, Jimmy Page would do anything to get Robert Plant back. Because he tried, Plant kept saying no. Then he did the amazing album with David Coverdale, but Page famously canceled the tour after a couple. Of, they did like a couple shows in Japan, and then they were trying to book it in the states, and they couldn't book it in arenas. And Jimmy Page's ego could not handle that. Like, no, 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 I'm Jimmy Page. We got to be playing arenas, and he canceled it because the demand wasn't there, unfortunately. But I mean, you got to look when. When Coverdale Page came out, that was like the height of, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and fucking Nirvana and shit like that, and it just wasn't there. But uh, that, that whole, the, the No Quarter album was lame. I mean, I saw the tour, the tour was really good, but the album, it's like, oh, we have to mix it up, we have to do this to make it Eastern-flavored and Moroccan-flavored and all. Shut the fuck up and play it like it's supposed to be fucking played. Uh, I, I I do love this song, but this is an example of them taking a traditional song and making it their own. I do agree with what you said too about it being the heaviest because that. I mean that is so bad. I, it doesn't matter if it's on acoustic or a fucking you know a Gibson through a Marshall amp. You get the power of the song. Amazing, and you know Plant's vocals are amazing on this absolutely love Gallows Pole. So then we go into the next song, which is, oh, God. Well, here's another one. Uh, well, it wasn't ripped off, but what a lot of people don't know is this song is about uh, a guy on our fan page, Greg Barnes. Wow. he was uh, Greg Barnes is pretty old then. Yeah, yeah. But already back then they knew he was a fruit. So they wrote a song called Tangerine. Uh, oh my God, what a beautiful song. What a beautiful song. Uh, everything about this is perfect. 
And I like it's only like three minutes and something seconds, but that's all it needs to be because it's it's fucking perfection. And I I love like the little uh, you know the build up and then plants like and I do and then it kicks into that fucking solo, which in the grand scheme of things isn't like the most epic solo. It's short, it's sweet to the point, but it serves the song so perfectly. And not a note is wasted, you know? No no quarter there, you know? It's it's just fucking, mm, absolutely fucking perfection. I love Tangerine uh, more than I love that fruit, Greg Barnes. But uh, this is a great, great, Awesome, perfect fucking Zeppelin track. What do you think of Tangerine, bro? It's my all-time favorite Led Zeppelin ballad. And I am a fanatic of the song. And, you know, I told it it really did slip my mind, uh, the Greg Barnes thing, because I actually did know that. But okay. some, something that you didn't know, before that, the, work, the working of the song, before they went the Greg Barnes route, it initially the song was about killing your wife, and a Jewish waiter. Oh. Yeah, the, the original name of the song was called OJ. But oh, then, okay. Yeah, yeah, but then they changed the lyrics and they said, well, let's not call it OJ, let's call it Tangerine. It's like, well, there it's the go. same thing. And so then yeah. they went the Greg Barnes route, so. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an amazing song. Uh, my favorite ballad, and probably my favorite song off the album, along with Immigrant Song and Out of the Tiles. But we ain't out of the woods yet. There's a lot good. There's a lot good coming up, and uh, my probably my uh, second favorite, or third favorite, is the next one. That's the way. Which my friend Eve from New York. Um, oh, we, Eve Star, I love her. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she loves Tangerine and stuff, and it really did like uh, blow my mind when she's like, "Man, I hate that song." That's the way. I was like, "What?" What? I was I was shocked because she, it sounds like something she'd love, and I, I I never forget that. You know, it's like wow. How, he, I mean, Eve's a big Zeppelin fan. She loves all the Zeppelin stuff, but she doesn't like that's the way. And I'm like, that song is so fucking beautiful. Oh, the, Eve, Eve, what's your problem? The melody, the the that guitar playing, the the acousticy. It's very dreamy type. Um. I will say one thing I forgot to say about Tangerine. The the beginning of Tangerine was so pointless, wasn't it? Like the... the and then it's like, oh, okay, let's start it over. And it's like, every time back in the day I used to make a Led Zeppelin mixtape, I would always cut that piece out. Right. Well, the, the funny thing is, though, you think that it's pointless, but that was totally an ode to Greg Barnes. Because yes. when he started... When he starts talking, you're like, oh, this is totally pointless. Yeah, well, I, I, but originally, it was, you know, they were trying to get the vibe of a guy playing guitar, and then uh, somebody comes back and slips their throat, and, and, and they die, and then they start the song over. There you go. That's when it was called OJ. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's the way, man. What a... I don't know, man. I mean, it's very close to Tangerine. It's like probably my second favorite Led Zeppelin ballad is uh, That's the Way. I love this song. It's beautiful. What do you think? All right. Well, I will say I give the nod to That's the Way over Tangerine. Wow. And, and I, I love Tangerine. But this is something I go back and forth with 
every day. Like Greg Barnes goes back and forth with his sexuality. But, it, you know, it always leans back towards Uncle John. Um, as far as my favorite Led Zeppelin ballads, it's always between this and Ten Years Gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. And, and man, on any given day, I could give you either answer. Just like Greg Barnes goes both ways. Well, he would go both ways if a woman would sleep with him. But, uh, man, between this and Ten Years Gone, I don't know, man. Uh, that's that's the way is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. And God damn you, Eve, I love you so much, but how can you not like this song? Yeah. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous. Uh... All time, one of the best Led Zeppelin songs, and it shows the great light and shade with Zeppelin, and that's something they were so good at. I mean, they could do the heaviest of the heavy, and they could do the most beautiful shit in the world, and I think that that speaks for their longevity. You know, is not being pigeonholed, and and being able to branch out and do different stuff, and that's why I think Led Zeppelin three is so uh, important in their career. You know, because this was, you know, uh, the, uh, Robert, I think it was Robert Plant said in an interview, you know, like when Zeppelin 3 came out, it wasn't an initial hit like the first two. He said so many people, you know, wanted a whole lot of love part two, or they wanted to hear us do Paranoid. And we threw a curveball. But that is the secret to longevity. And I, I know I've mentioned it in a lot of episodes, but my love for Neil Young. And Neil Young is an artist who's known for doing so many different, you know, genres in his career. And he always said, you know, he goes, when I have a hit, the next album, I totally take a detour. Because I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be like, okay, the next song's got to sound like this. And I respect that. And I think that's very true about longevity. There's a few bands that can do the same thing over and over and be a success. ACDC, you know, the Ramones. Uh, but but few and far in between that can keep that same sound but still entertain people. I, I think a lot of other artists, though, you have to take detours and branch out. But do it from the heart. Don't do it from a sellout point. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bands. Uh, I'll give you an example. Metallica. I mean, whether right. you like Metallica or not, fine. But I feel like they tried to be Led Zeppelin. When they, right, but... when they branched out and started doing... You know, I mean, not sounding like Zeppelin, but okay, let's do the Black Album. Let's get away from the thrash. And then, all right, then Load and Reload and Saint Anger was all them taking chances and doing something completely different. And to me, it just didn't work. Led Zeppelin made it work because it's just talented guys. And something that you forgot to mention about That's The Way, and I'm surprised that you didn't know this, was this was another Greg Barnes influence song. It was oh, really? originally called What's the Way? Now, <laughs> to, should it be heterosexual or homosexuality? It was a question like, you know, and the, the song was like, I don't know what I want to suck now, a nipple or a dick. So, uh, yeah, it used to be called What's the Way? Is, is, that, is that on the bonus tracks for this? I no, man, no, 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 no. In this world of political correctness, it's not cool to say you're Petra. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's the way. You want to take the next one? 
All right, and I know I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation of this, but it's Bronyar Stomp. I don't know. I don't know how to fucking say this. I think you said it right. But, oh my God, what an amazing uh, track. And, man, it starts out with that guitar, and I'm, I'm listening to it today. Man, I listened to this album over and over today. And at first I was like, is it finger-picking? And I was like, no, he's totally strumming. You can almost hear it. And then it's going back and forth, and I'm like, man, I don't know what the fuck Jimmy's doing, but it sounds fucking amazing. But to me, the, the part that sells it the most is when that bass drum kicks in. That fucking bonzo bit. Nobody, I don't care who you are, nobody plays that big bass drum like John Bonham. I mean, that, that foot is so fucking heavy. It could kick Scott Weiland's heroin addiction. I mean, I mean, it was a boom, 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 and it's it's fucking amazing. And uh, and then you mix that in with Jimmy's beautiful acoustic guitar on this song, and one of my all-time favorite Zeppelin songs. I absolutely love this fucking song. What a fucking groove! If this doesn't get your ass shaking. I, I don't know what will. An amazing track. Definitely one of the highlights on this album for me. Uh, it was definitely a grower for me. I, I didn't really get it as a kid. Wow. Yeah, but no, no, yeah. I, I got everything before this as a kid. But this one I didn't really, eh. It was like, ah, whatever. You know, I'd turn off the, the you know, I'd lift the needle after that's the way. Uh, but now I fucking love it. It's like a knee-slapping motherfucking tune. That uh, it just it, 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 again, it's kind of like heavy, you know, when it when it uh, kicks in and with the banjo and shit. Um, does it have banjo, or am I thinking of Gallows Bowl? I know Gallows Bowl has banjo, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I don't know. When, when it comes to this song, all I can think about is the dun, dun, yeah, yeah. Dun, dun. Oh, man, that bass drum kicks in. Yeah, I love uh, Banyarn Stomp. I think that is the way you pronounce it. All right, then we go to the last song on the album. Hats off to Roy Harper. Yes, sir. Roy Harper, uh, which maybe some of you don't know, did vocals on Have a Cigar. Yes. Yes. Where Roger Waters later said, I wish I would have done those vocals. Well, what, what happened, he was there in the studio, and Roger initially did the vocals, yes. and nobody, no, nobody in the band was feeling it. And as a joke, uh, you know, he was there. They're like, hey, let's give him a fucking shot at it. And everybody loved what he did. And I, I think in the end, it really chapped Roger's ass. Because, yeah. But it was perfect. It suited the song amazing. Yeah, because I, uh, I have that DVD. I mean, the Blu-ray. You ever... You ever seen it? The Making of Wish You Were Here? No, I haven't seen that one. I have Dark Side, but not Wish You Were Here. Well, yeah, there in that one, it, it, Roger does talk about, man, I wish I could redo that with my vocals. You know? He wasn't really happy with what Roy Harper did. Anyway, but I, they, I, but... I, I think I think that's ego, though, because I, I don't think you could improve upon that song. I mean, it sounded perfect. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, he did good. Man. I, I can't complain. It doesn't bother me. I mean... I didn't even know for the so I watched the DVD. I, I never really looked into it that much to find out that wasn't Gilmore or Waters singing it. I thought it was one of the two. I never really thought about it, 
but I don't know. It, it fit their their vocal stylings. But anyway, um, this song I don't like. I, I I never liked this song. To me, it sounds. I know they're they're going for that old, uh, you know, uh, real early blues. Like, uh, why am I having a brain fart now? The guy that sold his soul. Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson's giving that kind of feel with the slide guitar and the, that vocal, making it kind of kind of producing it to sound old. And to me, it sounds like total improv. Like they didn't even like let's just fucking jam. And they came out with that. We got one more song to do. Maybe it wasn't that way, but I get that vibe. It's like hey, we need one more song. And I don't know. I think this album ends with a thud. It was all the way great up to that point to me. Um, so yeah, that's what I think of uh, Hats Off to... Um, did he, did, was he there? Did he have anything to do with this song? Other than being in the title? Uh, I think he might have been there during the recording, but I don't I don't think he played on it. Yeah, that's odd. Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd is like... They didn't write a song called Have a Cigar, uh, Roy Harper. <laughs> you know? Uh, anyway, what do you think of this song? Uh, well, man, I, I'm really, I'm really surprised you don't like this one. No, I don't. Be- because it sucks, you know, and, uh, I, I totally agree, man. This is, you want to talk about a Z side. Uh, I mean, the, the, the vocals, it's not so much the music on this, it's the vocals, because it sounds like one of our episodes. It sounded like it was recorded on Skype with a bad connection. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really bad. And uh, yeah, uh, the fucked up thing is there was one single released off that al- uh, off this album, and that was um, "Immigrant Song," and the B side was "Hey Hey What Could I Do." Yeah, I was gonna talk about that, but before yeah. we talk about that song. I also want to say that this is the only song that was never played live off Zeppelin 3. Right? No, I, I can see why. Yeah. But, man, I think what a better album this would have been. It's, it's, hey, this most bands would kill to have an album this fucking good. Let's be honest. But think how amazing more it would be if they took off this fucking stinker and put on Hey Hey What Can I Do, which is an amazing song. It would have been great, a great ending. And it's weird because that was, I mean, I, I'm sure for you too, I'm all around the world. That's a song played on the radio quite a bit. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you always hear Hey Hey What Can I Do because it's a great fucking track. And it's a rare um, B-side for Zeppelin, which Zeppelin is very famous for like Hey, they just recorded what they recorded, and that was the album. They don't have a lot of leftover songs. Even if you're picking up all these, like, fucking million-dollar remasters, it's all like, okay, take five of this song, take seven of this song. There's no new fucking Led Zeppelin song. They just recorded what they recorded, and that was the album. And, uh, you know, some people, and myself included, might see that as, like, Okay, well, why am I rebuying this? Okay, if the bonus tracks are just like, okay, it's this song without bass, or it's you know it's this song without orchestration. I know I said that wrong, but anyway, uh, but they don't. There, there's no hidden vault of Led Zeppelin songs. But 
this is one of those rare tracks, man, and it's, it's a fucking amazing one. A lot of people were pissed this wasn't on the remaster for this. They tacked it on to the Coda remaster. Um, but uh, I also, love it. It also appeared in the 1990 box set. Yeah, that's where I, that's where I first heard it because that was before uh, Rock Radio embraced it. You know, and no, it wasn't... no. Well, not here in South Florida. I knew that song way before that box set, and it was oh. a much sought-after thing to find that okay. immigrant songs forty-five, which I never did find. Right. Well, I uh, around the Chicago area, I really didn't know it until that that box set came out in ninety, which I bought and loved the fucking death. But uh, man, yeah, that would have been a better way to add end the album than fucking uh, hats off to Rory Harper but what's so funny is even though I hate the song I say the title all the time like when somebody does something cool I'm always like hey hats off to Rory Harper <laughs> but I I love the same but I hate the fucking song yeah it's uh really it, it's a uh, fucking it, it's like you think you're gonna fart you know and then you shit your pants it's a shark for the album and yeah. uh and yeah, I was very disappointed when I opened up this box that cost me 120 bucks and see that "Hey, hey, what can I do?" wasn't in there. I was like, "What?" Uh, yeah, know? it wasn't. It wasn't just you. But that's that's the only way they're gonna get you to buy Coda. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess. Oh yeah, Coda. Co- I I'm, I don't have Coda, by the way. The uh, not not even the original, but the the one they released in the box brings that song. Yes. Oh, okay. That's stupid. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, uh, well, Ian, uh, you don't have the companion disc, do you? Uh, I, I do, but I haven't listened to it. All right, well, I'm just going to... I'll go through it kind of quick. Um, I have my notes here, because to tell you the truth, I never... I only listened to it, like, once when I first bought this earlier this year, so I had to go through it again. And uh, it's pretty much the whole album with one song that's not on the album. Uh, um, Immigrant Song is an alternate version. It's a little different. The, the, the vocals are a little higher in the mix, and there's added vocals at the end of the song. Like Robert Plant is singing some weird shit at the end. It doesn't, it doesn't, is he, is he, is he uh, bitching about Mexicans? No, no, actually no. This one is uh, totally uh, about ISIS. And he and you know you know how the original one goes. Oh, oh, oh. It doesn't have that at all. It's just Robert Plant just singing some gibberish, you know. Blah, 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 you know, something about Hillary. I don't know. And uh, then the next song, uh, Friends. Uh, the bongos are very loud in that mix. There's no vocals or strings, and I really liked it. I thought it was a really cool, cool. Um, version of it and uh then celebration day uh not really much different it it, i mean it is different but doesn't really do much for me since i've been loving you i really liked it was a rough mix different take uh total different guitar playing total different vocals same lyrics but uh not as good uh guitar solo wise by jimmy he he does some good stuff on it but some of it's kind of like eh I guess because I'm just too used to the original. Next song is called Bathroom Sound, which is actually out in the tile. 
with no vocals. The bass is louder. I love it. Uh, to me, this is probably my favorite one of all the outtakes because it doesn't have no vocals, but it sounds so good as an instrumental. Uh, bathroom sound is fucking awesome. I love that one. Uh, Gallows Pole has different uh, vocals. It's a different take. Uh, it's no banjos. And uh, it's awesome. I, I like that one too. It's really good. Uh, Tangerine's the same. Rough, different take. Good. Uh, then Jenning Farm Blues. Which is an electric version of Bronyar, uh Whatever. Uh, that song. Stop. Um, with no vocals. But it's an electric version to it. Then the last song, which is the only song that's not featured on the album, uh, called King to the Highway slash Trouble. Um, I don't know if it's a cover or not, but it's yes. like... It yes, is? it is. Yes. Okay, it's so much like... Um, what's the name of it? Uh, Hacks off the Royal... Uh, it's the same shit. It sounds like it's spontaneous. It has the same type of vibe, the old bluesy sound, with the, the vocal... Uh, the vocals sound all muffly. It's just as lame as Hats Off the Roy Harper. Well, the, the, the funny thing with that, if you look at the the credits for Hats Off the Roy Harper, it says traditional arrangement by Charles Obscure, which was, it, it was an inside joke by Jimmy Page. He was Charles Obscure. But it, as you come to find out, uh, it was written by Big Bill Bronzy, Charlie Seeger, Richard M. Jones, and Greg Barnes. Greg Barnes, again? Yes. Man. And that guy is just... That guy's famous, then. Yeah, kind of. Wow. Who knew? Right. Him and OJ. That's right. Oh, interesting. So that is the end of a Zeppelin 3 review. Uh, do you have anything to add? Uh, yes, this was released on October 5th, 1970. It is one of their poorest selling CDs, but by any other band standards, it was a fucking hit. It is now six times platinum in the U.S., uh, but just finally got a rating in the U.K., uh, thanks to the remaster, because before that, it was their only album in the U.K. that had no uh, certification. Um, another thing about this album, what happened, they were so jam-packed in 1969, I mean, they did two albums, massive tours, which my father saw, the only time he got to see Led Zeppelin was in Chicago, 1969, at the Kinetic Playground. Uh, I believe it was like three weeks before Led Zeppelin 1 came out, and it was Led Zeppelin and Jethro Tull opening up for Vanilla Fudge. And what's really weird about that, that show on that day was exactly seven years before Greg Barnes was born. True story. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, my, my dad said it was an amazing show. Uh, he And I might have said this on the Into the Outdoor, but he said uh, the MC comes out, and Zeppelin was first, actually. And he's like, you might know Jimmy Page from the Yardbirds. And then, you know, Zeppelin came out and blew everybody's mind. Said so back then there was no, like, gate in between, you know, where people are standing in the stage. You could go right up to the stage. He said, in between songs, he said, of course, all the girls went to Robert Plant. But he said, Jimmy Page leaned across to him 
and his cousin who went to the show was like, do you like this? You know, is this good? And they're like, oh my God, you're blowing my mind, you know? And then Jethro Tull came out and everybody loved Jethro Tull. So by the time fucking Vanilla Fudge came on, everybody left. Because we're like, you know, how are you going to... Because Vanilla Fudge at that time, I mean, no disrespect, but they were known for the, the cover of You Keep Me Hanging On. And that was it. But it was big in the States. But he said between fucking Led Zeppelin and Jethro Tull, man, it blew everybody's fucking mind because it was so different, so awesome, so powerful. But, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin... I know this weird thing was like I went through a period I think I went five years one time in the 90s without ever playing a Zeppelin CD because it was killed by rock radio I mean it was really killed and to this day it, you know there's a lot I can't listen to unless I hear the album if I hear the album in its entirety then it flows real good but I, I don't want to hear shit by itself but you know, some of the most magical moments in my life, musically, is like, you know, connecting with Stairway to Heaven. Or what I think is one of the greatest songs, probably the only song in the world that's better than Tears Are Falling, is Over the Hills and Far Away. Which still is like the epitome of like, hearing something and like, God coming down and talking to you, if God existed was the first time I heard Over the Hills and Far Away. Look, there is no God, because if there was a God, there wouldn't be any human being that would love Tears Are Falling. Oh. Well, there you go. But uh, I, I, I love Led Zeppelin, man. It's just, unfortunately, it is so... In the States, I don't know how it is in Europe, uh, if you guys have to hear the same songs every day or not, but they've really been killed here in the States, but... Man, if you put on a Led Zeppelin album, just, you know, start with track one all the way to the end, and you're going to get an amazing experience by amazing musicians that, you know, there's a reason why they are the gold standard, because they are incredible. Uh, Jimmy Page's production, the overdubbing on the guitars, uh, sets such a high standard. I mean, you can't duplicate that shit. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I love Led Zeppelin, even though sometimes I have to go years without hearing them. But they are amazing. What do you do? You have anything in closing, Ralph? They are gods. They're they're rock gods. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, Led Zeppelin Three is one of my favorites. I put it up there with uh, Physical Graffiti, and I think probably my second favorite album. Uh, think about it. Yeah, probably. I will say Physical Graffiti, then Zeppelin 3 are my two favorite Led Zeppelin albums. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, a Houses of the Holy guy. I, I, I really love Houses of the Holy. I, I love all their stuff except for Coda, man. But I, Houses of the Holy has uh, Song Remains the Same and the Rain song, two of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. But it has the crunch. I don't like that song. See, I, I like, I, mean, my, my, I think the worst song in there is Jamaica or Dire Maker. Dire Maker. I like that song because of the drums. And I know the whole crunch thing is because of James Brown. But it just doesn't work for me. And, um... Right. Also has No Quarter, which I love. No Quarter is fucking amazing. That studio version is awesome. But I will say, man, I'm not a fan of Song Remains the Same, that live album. But the version of No Quarter on there is my favorite version of the song. It's, I mean, Jimmy Page is on fire. On that song, and that song, 
uh, I did not know this. I recently found out that song is about Lord of the Rings. I didn't know that. They, they, there was a lot of token. In, well, in I know, lyrics. like, Ramble On is about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, Morta and the evil woman. No, Gollum and the evil woman kept up and slipped away. Isn't that yeah. Ramble On? Yeah. yeah. And I think there's something on Zeppelin 1, too, about yeah. Lord of the Rings. Well, I, I know, uh, what is it? Hot Dog and All of Your Love is about Harry Potter. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> I know that. Battle of Evermore, that was about Lord of the Rings. Okay. But, um, yeah, so, oh, and Misty Mountain Hop. All right. That's two songs of Lord of the Rings on one album. Pretty crazy, huh? But, uh, yeah, man, fucking, um, Zeppelin 3, yeah, it's up there, because it's just so different, and I don't know, I mean, I I like putting on Zeppelin 3 just to get in a weird mood. You know, like if I, I'm feeling a little, I don't know, like let me, I, I don't know what I want to listen to. I usually, you know, Black Sabbath, any of the early Black Sabbath albums is good to play on whatever mood I'm in. And Let's Up in 3 too, because Let's Up in 3, I put that on and it'll dictate, it'll change my mood, it'll dictate how it should feel. And especially Side 2. Side 1's great. Side two, I mean, but I always listen to it from the beginning to end, you know. And then I usually do turn it off during act off to Roy Harper. But as a whole, yeah, it's like only physical graffiti for me uh, tops uh, Led Zeppelin for me. Yeah, and, and uh, another thing I think that's pretty awesome is I don't know if our fans, I'm sure a lot of our fans go on Blabbermouth, but it was announced on Blabbermouth that. Uh, Megadeth's Dave Mustaine said that after listening to our In Through the Outdoor review, said that he agreed Hot Dog was the worst Led Zeppelin song ever. True story. True story. Wow. So he agreed with you. Yeah, you saw that story, goddammit. You sent me a link. (laughs) That is true. I forgot about that. Yeah. I I thought you were making a funny. No, no, that's a true story. No, there's a, story. dude, uh, Hot Dog is universally hated by Led Zeppelin fans, you know? A lot of people point to that song as the worst Led Zeppelin song, and I'm like, dude, I like that song, man, I'm sorry. But, you know, then again, I'm a fan of Elvis. Exactly. And it's got that Elvis vibe, and, you know, it's, uh, what's that other song? Just going today. No, that is Hot Dog. I'm thinking of the same damn song. I'm a yeah. little, I'm a little exhausted again. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, I had a long night last night, and I, I'm, I'm very sleepy now. But I made it through the whole review. Uh, I, I was very much awake during the review. It's just right when we got to Roy Harper, I started getting drowsy. Anyway, um, but it, as a whole, yeah, I love uh, Led Zeppelin three, and then probably maybe the reason why is because it's not overplayed on the radio. I love Presence too, probably because of the same reason. I agree there. I definitely Presence agree. Presence is a phenomenal Presence to me is the more the most guitar oriented Led Zeppelin on where I think that's why uh, I think Jimmy Page blew his load on that album because he didn't really have many ideas for it through the outdoor. Well I think that was thanks to heroin. Yeah he was he was very much on heroin. Between his heroin and uh, Bonham's problems with the bottle, I think that's why you got a uh, 
Robert Plant, John Paul Jones solo album with Into the Outdoor. But did Bottom have much to do with Led Zeppelin writing? Was Led Zeppelin one of those bands where everybody got credit, like Van Halen and Black Sabbath? Uh, no, no, no. It was, uh, it was kind of like a uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones where like every song had Plant and Page. But then your occasional song would have uh, either John Paul Jones or John Bonham. Very little for John Bonham, a little bit more for John Paul Jones. But every song has Plant and Page. Oh, okay. And two geniuses, man, that really did blow their load in the 70s. Uh, right. Because, uh, dude, that shit's timeless. I mean, there's songs I can't listen to anymore because it's just so burnt out. But there was a time I loved those songs. And then there's songs that... Aren't, aren't burnt out on that, you know, like you mentioned, 10 Years Gone, um, what's that, In the Light, uh, The Rover, fucking, you know, yeah. well, I'm just mentioning everything off of uh, that album. Physical Graffiti. Yeah, Physical yeah. Graffiti, but, you know, I mean, uh, Your Time is Gonna Come, which, by the way, that's another song they've never played live. Ain't wow. That, every song on Zeppelin 1 was played live except that one. And one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, your time, your time is gonna come. Is like, the, dude, I remember that song spoke to me so well when I broke up with this really evil bitch. And it oh, was, was that was that the goddamn Guns N' Roses? No, girl? no, this this goes even before that. Okay. And this girl is maybe maybe more evil. And funny enough, she's on my Facebook. <laughs> oh, I, oh nice. that's that's the one that I had sex with her and her daughter at the same time. Oh, uh, what's that, Gloria Barnes? Uh, no, I, I can't mention the name, but I mean, I could give you a hint. It, it, I have the same last name as somebody else we know, but don't say it. Somebody that, that pronounces their last name different than how she pronounces it. Uh, you know who know I'm talking, talking about, about, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, now that I think about it, I think Justin may have the right pronunciation to his last name because, oh, fuck, I said his name. <laughs> That shows you how fucking tired I am. Well, I didn't say the last name, but I could say he probably has the right pronunciation to the last name because that girl's a dumb bitch. But, but you know, no, her daughter... Let me just tell the story. Have I told the story on the podcast? I'll be very brief on it. I don't, I don't think so. Okay, um, I knew this girl. This was 1994. I met this girl, and uh, she was kind of like... She wasn't like a girlfriend. She was more like a, a fuck buddy. But then she started getting a little more, like, into me, and I wasn't having it because I knew she was loose. But I love loose chicks. I just don't like, you know, I. it's not that I don't like. I, I, I have a hard time getting emotionally attached. You know what I mean? I like them. I'm, I'm emotionally, I, I like them a lot, but not in that way. I like them only sexually. Well, I'll make, <laughs> there's a little part of the story I got to bring up. Um, she used to have a little box of condoms. On her little, she had like this bed that had a little like uh, compartments on it, and there was a little box of cotton sealed on there. And one day I went and it was unsealed, so I knew you know she had sex with somebody else. And uh, I didn't say anything, but then you know I uh, I didn't show up one day. I was with some chick. She, her friend actually saw me with some girl, and she gave me shit. I was like, but you have this box of condoms. And it was open. I know you're fucking around. She's like, and then she admitted to me she was fucking a cop. And this cop was married to a cop, a female cop, right? 
And I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but here's the weird thing. Some motherfucker called that cop on his phone and said, stop seeing said girl. I don't want you to see her. So then he goes up to her saying, some motherfucker just called me with a real fucked up Spanish accent saying that, you know, to stop seeing it. And then she's like, oh, that's Ralph. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? I don't have a Spanish accent, you know? And she told on me. Anyway, this was 1994. I lost touch with her. I didn't see her for like a good 15 years. Now, in 1994, she had a three-year-old girl that I've never met. I've never met her. She was staying with the father because she's a fucker. Well, uh, I don't know how many do the math. From 94, she was three. So 15 years later, when she turned 18, uh, she got a hold of me through a mutual friend and called me to come by and party. And she wanted me to bring a friend for her daughter because they all wanted to fuck, right? And then I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I said, then she said, well, um, she wants to talk to you. I was like, all right, put her on. She gets on the phone and we're talking. She's like, hi, Ralph. Hi. Oh, yeah, I heard a lot about you. And she's like, hey, listen, um, can you get a friend to come by? She's like, I'll, I'll, well, I'll try. She goes, okay. Well, in case he can't, can you bring by lambskin condoms? You know what that means. We're fucking. So I'm like, sure. You know, so I go to the, you know, Walgreens. I buy lambskin condoms, beer. I go over there and end up having sex with a mother and daughter which was mind-blowing. And she was really cute, the daughter. And uh, then I did get a hold of my friend, uh, Willie, from Thrasher Die. Took him over there, then we took turns. But he didn't have them both together like I did. But he did fuck the mom, then fuck the daughter, and vice versa, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, late into the night, uh, the story's almost over, guys. Um, we, we did this shit till fucking daybreak. We were just fucking like rabbits. And then I'm in the bedroom with the mom, I, by this time I'm done fucking but Willie's in the living room fucking the daughter and she's there all drunk and starts going oh man I can't believe you you, you molested my daughter and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about number one she's 18 number two you invited me over to fuck your daughter oh and I forgot to add she wanted to eat out the daughter and the daughter was against it Ew. swear and you know here's another thing and Willie is my witness while I'm banging the mom doggy style, Willie's banging the, the daughter on the bed, and the mother grabs the daughter's tit during this time. Oh, oh. What are you saying ooh for? That shit's hot. Right, Justin? <laughs> it's one of your well, relatives, bro. No, it's funny you say that, because I almost had the identical thing happen, but it was with Justin's mom. But instead of a box of rubbers next to the bed, there was a can of Raid. <laughs> Okay. Uh. All right. Well, uh, here's the ending of the story. It ends pretty crazy. So while she's there saying how I molested the daughter, I got so upset that she said this that I said, fuck this. I'm out of here. So I'm walking out and, you know, I know Willie's in the corner in the living room fucking the daughter. While I'm walking out of the house, I said, Willie, I'll wait for you downstairs at the car. Willie's such an idiot. He thinks I'm going to leave him there. Right. So from the front, from her door, she lived in an apartment. Like I was, I don't know, the 10th floor or something. I'm walking toward the elevator. The elevator is a good 15 feet. No, even more. I'd say like 20 feet away. It was all the way down the, the hallway. So I walk. By the time I get to the elevator, Willie comes running out of the house, putting his pants up. 
saying, hold on, wait, Ralph. I was like, dude, you could have, you could have finished fucking her. It doesn't matter. You go, and he goes, no, no, I came. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, he saw me leaving, and he pumped her so hard he came and just ran out of the house. And I thought to myself, damn, I want to do that one day. I want to fuck a girl, come and run out of the house. I thought that was so unique. Anyway, so we go downstairs. While we're walking in the car, both of them are on the balcony throwing beer bottles at us. It was like Vietnam. We're like, oh, shit. Anyway, so uh, I never did have sex with the mother and daughter again because the daughter got really mad at me because she liked Willie, and I ended their little fuck fest. But I was willing to wait downstairs, but I did end up having sex with the mother and this really cute older chick that lived downstairs, like in the same apartment. Uh, that was like a cohort. And... Uh, we used to fucking have threesomes too, but then the mother got jealous because I started to see that cold court chip behind her back. And yes, I am Dr. Fuck. And that, kids, is our Led Zeppelin 3 review. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Randall. The only way you can foul that up is with pick of the week. Yeah, pick of the week. My pick was that, that cold court downstairs. That was, she was my pick of the week. And the daughter. <laughs> See, I had a pick of the week ready for you. All right. All right, what's so, your pick of the week? All right, my pick of the week, we're going to stay on topic here, and I'm going to talk about one of the greatest Led Zeppelin albums that never made, and that is Coverdale Page. Yeah, good pick. Oh, man, what an amazing album. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't do all that well when it came out, and I think there was some backlash because of David Coverdale and Whitesnake and... You know, all of a sudden, White Snake wasn't cool. But what an amazing album. Really good. Really good. A little kind of slick production, but still still good. There's some amazing songs in there. I would have loved to see that shit live. And uh tell you the truth, man, I would love to see another Coverdale Page album. I have one I have one of the bootlegs from Japan, actually. Yes, I have that. I have that as well. And, uh, it's really cool too hearing like Jimmy Page playing White Snake songs, you know, and Coverdale yeah, doing and, and did, songs. I think they did "In My Time of Dying" or one of those uh, obscure tunes with uh, Coverdale. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really cool, but it is a great album. If you know, if you never check it out for whatever reason, check out Coverdale Page, a great album, my pick of the week. All Brown, right, what you got? my pick of the week is uh, Van Halen's "Diver Down." Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I love this album. It's it's such a fun party album. It's not a song I dislike on it. A lot of people give that album shit because it's a lot of cover songs. Like, who cares? Music's music. I mean, have you heard the Kinks doing Where Have All the Good Times Gone? It doesn't sound like a cover song when Van Halen does it. It doesn't sound like the original. It's totally theirs. And... Uh, I think it's a fun album, uh, along with Van Halen 2, it's the most fun. Van Halen 2 and, and Diver Down, to me, are equally fun. Where the other ones, you know, I mean, Fair, fair Warning's Dark, uh, Children, uh, Women Children First is fun at times. First one is fun at times. 84, they got a little too serious for me. Uh, I'm not a big fan of 84, by the way. I do like it, but I don't love it. But Diver Down, I fucking love that album. And I think it's very underrated and, and a lot of people bash it. 
including Eddie Van Halen. But I think Diver Down, I mean, it is to me, it has aged so well. I listened to it the other day on my uh, on my walk, and I was just thinking, God, this is a really an amazing album. It's probably the last true Van Halen album, in my opinion. I love every song except Dancing in the Streets. I love that song. And the main reason I love Dancing in the Street is because of Mr. David Lee Roth's vocal performance on it. It's just fucking awesome. Very, very great melody to this voice, which is another example of why he is technically a better singer than Sammy Hagar. Suck my nuts, because Sammy Hagar cannot sing Little Dreamer or none of this shit. Oh, Dreams, because he can hit those high notes. I can hit high notes too, just... Kick me in the nuts and I can hit those fucking high notes. It won't sound good. It'll sound like Sammy Hagar. Fuck you. Yes, fuck Sammy Hagar. Fuck Sammy Hagar is right. All Actually, right. That was, the, that was the original name of our podcast, but iTunes, you know, they won't allow there, risque there language. Go. It's it, you know you can't use bad words on 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 titles of podcasts. So we yeah, we had to change the name because we had a bad word. We had two bad words: fuck and Hagar. Yeah, exactly. Actually, they were fine with fuck. It was just Sammy yeah, Hagar. It was, no, no, Sammy was okay. Hagar was the bad part. You know, it could have been like Sammy Davis Jr., you know. But anyway. All right, now here's the point where we normally go into fan of the week. But uh, instead of the fan of the week, I'm going to go into douchebag of the week. Uh-oh. Oh, man. All right. Please don't tell me who I think it is. Oh, yeah. Douchebag of the week is Hanoi Bomb. <laughs> oh, oh, this oh. is so funny. Ralph sent me this message the other day. It was hilarious. I'm laughing reading it. He goes, hey, asshole, you cost us a fan. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> what are you talking about? And then he he sends me this guy wrote on the YouTube page, not on, uh, not on our Facebook page or anything or the Dr. Fuck show or anything, but this was a guy on on one of our YouTube clips. And this guy lost his shit because I compared Hanoi Rocks to fucking Poison. Uh, a statement that I stand by. Uh, I think Hanoi Rocks, while not horrible, are totally overrated, and I think the best thing to happen to them was Vince Neil. Oh! Because yeah, people... People remember them because of Vince Neil, or uh, I don't. I don't think you'd hear too much about Hanoi Rocks. But uh, hey, Brett Michaels looks like a fucking woman. Hey, Michael Monroe looks like a fucking woman. You know, and uh, they wrote some half-assed pop songs. In fact, I think Poison has more street cred than Hanoi Rocks. And I'm not hating on them. I'm just saying the facts a fact. You know, they they very overrated. But anyway, this guy you called me a fag, called me a cocksucker, all this shit. And uh, hey, Hanoi Bomb, come on the fucking, uh, come on our podcast. Because I would love to debate you live and prove to you why I own your ass. Let me fuck you harder than I fucked your mother, all right? Mm. And uh, show you why I'm right and you're wrong. A lot of people, man, you got all these comments. You know, you think uh, just because you have a mic... You can do a fucking podcast. Well, that's where you're right. But I'm going to show you why I'm superior. So anyway, fuck you, Hanoi Bomb. But hey, I'm more than willing to have you on the show. 
so uh, you can stick up for fucking Hanoi Rocks. And I'll, I'll tell you why Vince Neil took a left turn. Uh, <laughs> all right, hey, 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 hey. I, I, all I can say, because you know how I'm staying out of this one. I mean, the guy right. did say nice things about me. And also, I cannot give you an honest opinion on Hanoi Rocks because I only know that song, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and I actually like the song. But right, I, right. I really don't. But you told me you have heard or bought one of their albums, right? Oh, yeah. When, uh, well, that, that was a big thing when, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses blew up and Axel said Hanoi Rocks was a huge inspiration to him. So he re released their whole catalog on the Uzi Suicide label. That, if you remember, like the first EP was on and he did this, and then nobody bought the Hanoi Rocks, so Uzi Suicide went away. But I bought it just because I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I believe it was called Back to Mystery City. And it was fucking, you know, it was. Horror. I mean, it was basically like Poison or fucking uh, Pretty Boy Floyd. It was that kind of... Now, I like uh, some of the shit off Michael Monroe's solo album. I mean, I'm not hating on them, but I mean, to, to say they were some great fucking groundbreaking band, hey, they were glam, just like Poison was fucking glam. Michael Monroe looked like a chick, just like Brett Michaels looked like a chick. And the songs aren't that fucking memorable. But uh, this dude got all butthurt because... Uh, because I compared it to Poison, and uh, hey, come on the show, dude. I would well, love to debate this. In that comment he left, he said he wasn't going to listen to us anymore, so. Yeah, and he's full of shit. He's full of shit. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see, yeah. I would, I would, but uh, hey, hopefully your mom buys you a mic on our Amazon link, and uh, you come on the show. And I will own your ass. Hanoi Bomb. Right. Jesus Christ. Hanoi Bomb. I'm going to actually tell him, hey, dude, we're going to... Ian has something to say to you when we do air this episode. Right. Right. And I I would love to have your mom right next to me, sucking on my microphone while I talk to you. Dang. Anyway, yeah. So uh, now's the point where we plug the people that we love and, and the shit that's important to us. Of course, we have to talk about that metal station where you... Well, of course, Podbean is our home. Check out the Podbean page where there's links for everything. Also, check out that metalstation.com where you can hear us twice a week. Sundays at 11, or is it noon Eastern? Uh, 11, uh, Sundays at 11 a.m. and Thursdays at 8 p.m. No, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Awesome. And also, while you're on there, there's so many shows on that metal station. Mike Tyler has his two shows, one on... Wednesday and no, no, Friday. Tuesday at 8 p.m. and Friday at 1 a.m. Yeah, I've I drank way too much. It's also home of our own The Dr. Fuck Show. That is right, which which has become now kind of like the Ask Dr. Fuck Show. My show is kind of like I have a bunch of co-hosts. Anybody that shows up in the Metal Station chat room, they become my co-hosts. We all run the show together. It's a unique experience and... Uh, Every week that I go on, it seems to be growing and growing and growing. And I thank you all to listen to the Dr. Fuck Show. On uh, We're always following the Rock and Metal Combat podcast when they when the Metal Station airs it. Uh, so I'm on, on the live show, which is like almost always live. It, it's, there's, there's some Thursdays I have to go out, so we'll, I'll, I'll prepare a show and play it. But the live show is on 8 p.m., Eastern on Thursdays. Then we repeat it on Sunday 
uh, at uh, 1 p.m., which is, again, both are after the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, which airs on that metal station. Thanks to our boss, the great Scott Green. Well, there you go. Also, check us out Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Indie Authority, where you can check us out and a lot of other cool shows. They got a great website, so check them out. Um, also, some some other shows that support us and we support them, the Decibel Geek Podcast. Check them out. Check out uh, Victor Ruiz with Mars Attacks. Check out uh, Mystery, uh, Mystery Science. I always fucking say it. Kistory Science Theater. Check out Barbarian Rage. And uh, some of y'all have sent some uh, commercials that we're going to start playing, but I've been slacking on getting them to Ralph to queue it up. But here's one we definitely have queued up, and that's Podkiss. Ralph, hit it. All right, Kiss Army. Since 2007, you've been getting Podkissed, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your podcast. Every month, the podcast crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss Talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podkiss. Hi, this is Bruce and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. All right, well, there was that. I'll tell you what, another show I forgot to tell you about that you need to check out is The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. That is also on the Indie Authority. Another one, some friends of ours, Ironcast with Luke Ennis, Mr. T from Germany, and Greg Barnes. Check that shit out. Uh, so there you go. If there's somebody I'm forgetting, I'm sorry. But, uh... Ralph, do you have anything to add before I head into give a little preview to what's coming up next week? Yeah, I, I would like to also give a plug. I want to thank every girl that put my penis in their mouth. Every one of them. All right, so Justin Childers, that's for you. Hey. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said girls. Oh uh, well, at least at least you pronounced that last name right. <laughs> All right, well, if you enjoyed this episode, and I know you did, come back next week when our special guest is Hawkeye himself, Alan Alda. Wow. Joins, yeah, Alan Alda joins us in the studio to talk about Accepts Metal Heart. Wow. Yeah, that, he says that's his favorite Accept album. I did not know that. Yeah, true story. Wow. So if you want to hear that, Come back next week, only on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Uh, Alan Alda also is the king of giving uh, Cleveland steamers to crackheads. I don't, I don't know if you know that. True story. We're, we're gonna have many stories on Cleveland steamer and crack wars next week. I'd tune in if I were you. Me you too. Know, think about it. We're talking about Udo and shitting on crackheads' uh, chests. Sounds like a ratings bonanza. It, 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 it's a mash. A monster mash. <laughs> All right. Next week. Bye. All right. That, that I'm looking.